Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice, musician turned entrepreneur and co-founder of 6th Ave Homes and 6th Ave Storytelling. Over the past 10 years, I have launched multiple successful businesses and have become obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and marketing. I've been on a personal quest to unpack what it takes to make and grow a great brand. One thing that I've discovered is that stories are powerful and that storytelling has the power to set a brand apart. Join me as I dive into the stories of the heavy-hitting leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and business owners in our community to hear their biggest wins, greatest losses, and their best business secrets. There's a story behind every great brand. Welcome to Stories with Soul. Stories with Soul is brought to you by my company, 6th Ave Storytelling. In 2020, we launched a marketing company on a mission to encourage entrepreneurship and make starting and growing a small business easier than ever before. Since then, we have helped hundreds of small businesses and entrepreneurs grow their brands by giving them the tools, resources, strategy, and support they need to craft and share their stories. If you are thinking about launching and growing your own brand, schedule a meetup with me today. I would love to talk to you. Head over to 6thAvStorytelling.com and let me show you how the storytelling approach can transform your marketing strategy. This episode is sponsored in part by Pre-Kindle, the platform designed to empower event creators to develop the best experiences possible for their communities. Did you know that Pre-Kindle was actually founded in DFW and is still headquarters in Dallas? Well, now you do. We love local businesses and Pre-Kindle is one of the best. With a best-in-class platform of features, no long-term contracts, low service fees, responsive mobile-friendly event pages, and friendly and attentive support, Pre-Kindle is my personal favorite ticketing and marketing platform for any event. Anytime I'm planning something with my band, Green River Ordinance, Pre-Kindle is our go-to platform to use. With an impressive roster of event creators, menus, and entertainment destinations across the nation, Pre-Kindle's hands down the best. In DFW alone, they've partnered with incredible spaces like the Granada Theater, Panther Island Pavilion, the Kessler, Will Rogers Coliseum, the Fort Worth Modern, Tulips, Rizzi Theater, and more. If you have been to an event or venue in DFW, I promise you have likely been using Pre-Kindle and you didn't even know it. Beyond ticketing, Pre-Kindle also helps automatically promote your event. With over 500,000 subscribers in North Texas, in partnerships with event discovery sites like Bands in Town, Spotify, Google, they're set up to also help you spread the word. So go to prekindle.com, that's P-R-E-K-I-N-D-L-E.com and click Get Started to begin using the platform. They are on a mission to bring your event to life. All right, welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice. I am joined today by Matt Homan, who is, is the mastermind behind Dickie's Arena. Matt is the president and general manager of Trail Drive Management Corp., which is the not-for-profit that operates Dickie's Arena in Fort Worth. Upon his arrival to Fort Worth in 2015, Matt helped shape the design and the de- development of both TDMC and Dickey's Arena with over two decades of arena experience, which is a wild thing we're going to talk about. Not very many people have that. <laughs> Matt, Matt led his team to opening the state-of-the-art 14,000-seat venue in November of 2019. Matt is actively involved in the Fort Worth community, serving on boards of both the Fort Worth Chamber of Commerce and Visit Fort Worth. Prior to moving to Fort Worth, Matt worked as a general manager at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia where he oversaw, managed, and planned the day-to-day operations and future growth of the NHL, NHL and NBA arena. Matt scheduled and booked 248 events for the venue in 2014. That's a lot. 
And in his time at the Wells Fargo Center, he helped bid, plan, and execute major events, including the NCAA wrestling, basketball, and the Rolling Stones and more. In addition to his time at the Wells Fargo Center, Matt worked for Spectra Venue Management for over 12 years, where he led and assisted the venue operations at the Iowa Event Center in Des Moines. Uh, earned his bachelor's degree in sports and entertainment management at the University of South Carolina, and you have three children. So, Matt, welcome, welcome to the, the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. I, so, okay. So, here's what's what's kind of crazy to me, and why I'm like so excited to to have this conversation is you do something that very, 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 very few people do. Like, do, do you know how many arenas there are in the United States? Oh no! no like off the top of your head, you uh, have like no. I mean, couple hundred. I would, you know, you couple know, hundred max. Yeah, because yeah. I, w- I was I should have like googled this, but <laughs> I was like I was trying to do the mental math. I'm like most major cities have them, small cities do not have them, and so to be a guy that runs an arena, it's like that's more exclusive than like the NBA or the PGA or like in the NFL. Yeah, it is. You know, you know, the, the downside is, is there's not multiple in every city. So it's not like a bank. So, no. you know, that's the downside is that you, you know, in, in opportunities for growth and things that you might have to move to a different one. And so that is the the downside of the business sometimes. But there's no, like, so one, there's like a small Rolodex of people you can even call. Hey, I got a problem. I have like, there's 200 people in the country that do what I, and there's also no playbook for it. <laughs> That is absolutely correct. There's no playbook. So how did you, like, how, it's kind of like being the governor, you know, it's like there's one, there's 50 of them. Like, like it's such a random job and a job that's, that's cool. It's, it's interesting. You're juggling a lot. There's a lot of, it's different every night, but like, how did, how did you, can you take me back? Like, how did you one get into this and how did you like, this is what I want to do. How'd you find this niche? Well, I was fortunate, you know, I kind of, I grew up a little bit in the industry. Um, my dad was a vice president for Ticketmaster for many years. Of like all of Ticketmaster? Uh, yeah. So, well, Ticketmaster, when it was locally owned and then corporately, it went to corporate and then back to local and then back to corporate. So, um, but yeah, so he was a, he was a vice president in Philadelphia, started Ticketmaster when, you know, when Ticketron was the ticketing system in the, you know, in the early nineties, you know, or late eighties. I kind of remember Ticketron. Ticketron was the original ticketing system. And then it went to Ticketmaster. Okay. Um, and my dad started Ticketmaster as a local group there in Philadelphia that was owned by the, uh, Mr. Ed Snyder, which was, um, the owner of the Philadelphia Flyers at the time. So he helped start Ticketmaster? Uh, in Philadelphia. In yes, Philly. The okay. branch in Philadelphia. Yes. So you, you grew up in Philly? Yep. I grew up in Philly. Um, you know, my dad actually started working at the, at the Spectrum at the in the box office. He was the box office manager to start. Um, so when I was a kid, you know, I would go down to so you were going to the games every and- event I could. I mean, like I loved the events, and that was always fun to me. Whether it was monster trucks or whether it was a concert or a basketball, you know, Sixers or a Flyers game, mm-hmm. you know, everything I went to, I just embraced and I loved it. And it wasn't always, you know, for me, it wasn't always about the event. It was about everything else that was going on, you know, this experience. Yeah. The experience, you know, when you drove into the event, when you walked into the doors, when you went and bought popcorn or pretzel or, you know, a cheesesteak in Philadelphia, you know, all of those things, like the interactions, you know, that's what kind of blew my mind. And then that was just a part of your childhood. You were just going on. Yeah. Just going and, you know, walking backstage and seeing the the production starts to go, you know, start to get built up, you know, and then, you know, walking down that old corridor at the spectrum that, you know, that 
and you'd just walk into people and you'd walk, you know, as a kid, you know, I was into WWF wrestling, which it was at the time. <laughs> yeah. You'd walk by and see Hulk Hogan and you'd be like, oh man, that's uh, amazing right there, you know? And was your dad like introducing you like to... Yeah, when he could, you know, he'd yeah. introduce me to the, to the promoter and I'm like, you know, seven, you know, eight-year-old kid yeah. and then the promoter would be like, hey, come meet so-and-so, you know? And it, yeah, so there was a lot of interaction with that. And what, in his role, what like what exactly was he doing? He, he was just the, the box office manager at that time, you okay. know, and actually my mom was actually worked at the box office. That's where they met okay. uh, in so Philadelphia. So you literally grew up in an arena. Yes, okay. I really did. So to, to be one of those 200 people that manages an arena, that helps to like, Yes, yes, it does help, you know, but, but, you know, when I was in high school, my first real job was a ticket seller in the ticket sellers union in Philadelphia. I had to join the union. I was the youngest member of the ticket sellers union in Philadelphia and at the time. And, um, you know, it was important to me because that's what I wanted to do. And I want, that's where I wanted to work. Mm -hmm. The great thing was as a kid, I made $15 an hour at 16 years old. And my, and my, you know, back in 90, in the early nineties, that was decent money. That was decent money. That's a good chunk of change. Yeah. Even today. Did you you have brothers and sisters? So I have a, yeah, I have a a younger sister and an older sister as well. And were they in? No, they were never really into this the business like I was okay um and I just kind of loved it you know because I, I, I knew at a young age it was something different every day you nailed it earlier I mean like you know one day you're doing Disney on ice the next day you're doing a concert the next day you're doing a hockey game or a basketball game and just or you're bringing in rodeo dirt yeah and now I'm bringing in rodeo dirt and then um you know and like last year you know going from the PBR world finals to Paul McCartney back to the PBR world finals in a day you know that was amazing so yeah, it was something fun for me, so, and then started so as, to learn the business. So as a as a kid, though, so one you like the I like the excitement. I like being around here. This is a great. I'm making some some cash. Was there was there a moment where it was like I I know I want to do this? Like when on you know when you write down what do you want to be? Was was it I want to do what my dad does? Is it? This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Visit Fort Worth. Visit Fort Worth is the official destination marketing organization of the 13 largest city, and I would say the greatest city in the United States, dedicated to promoting Fort Worth as a premier business and leisure destination with thriving centers of creativity, culture, and commerce. Visit Fort Worth is the parent organization of the Fort Worth Herd, the Fort Worth Film Commission, Fort Worth Sports Commission, Visita Fort Worth and Music Initiative here Fort Worth. They are doing a lot of amazing things. For more information on Visit Fort Worth, head over to visitfortworth.com and follow them on social at Visit Fort Worth. This episode of Stories with Soul is brought to you by TCU Neely Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. They're ranked as one of the top entrepreneurship programs in the country, and they live by the Neely promise to unleash human potential with leadership at the core and innovation in our spirit. The Institute has recently launched the Horn Frog Investment Network, which leverages the expertise and experience of entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investment professionals. They source, evaluate, and invest in the next generation of innovators. Crazy cool. And as an entrepreneur myself, I know the importance of finding great help. It can truly make or break your business. Luckily, as Fort Worth entrepreneurs, we have access to some of the top up-and-coming minds in the nation. If you're a business looking for talented students and interns, visit the Neely School of Business website to learn more about the Entrepreneurial Intern Scholars Program. They're actively looking for 
placements for their incredible students. They're doing amazing things and it's exciting to see the next generation of entrepreneurs grow and flourish right here in our city. Are you a small business owner or an entrepreneur? Do you do marketing for a small business? If so, I have something that I want to give you and it's totally for free. We've put together a free resource at sixappstorytelling.com slash download. And it's the secrets, it's the tips, it's the tricks, it's the tools of the trade. It's literally everything we do at Six App Storytelling to help small businesses grow. Go download it today at sixappstorytelling.com slash download. I wanted to get in, you know, my dad was more on the ticketing side and I okay. knew I wanted to get into, I wanted to run an arena. Like that was my goal. Was From to, an early age? Yes. How, I said, old, I went, how old were you when you I said that? I was probably, I don't know, I was probably 13 or 14. I, I, I think that I just kind of knew, like, that's what I want to do. You called it at like yeah. 13. Yeah. I want to run an arena. And what I wanted to do was run the arena where the Philadelphia Flyers and 76ers played. You and know, like, you did it? Yeah, I did. did. I did it for five years. And it was, um, you know, at the time, you know, that was my, you know, that was kind of my career goal. That was it. That was, that was the thing for me that was like, wow, I'm running the building that I grew up going to. I mean, it was I kind of got goosebumps. Just yeah. Like thinking it was kind of weird too, because like when I first came back to Philadelphia, I mean, half the people that worked there knew me when I was a kid. Yeah. And so I was now coming and running it and you know, it was great for them because they saw it and they knew me growing up and saw me come up to this position. I think it was fun for them and it was fun for me at the same time. That is crazy. Cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's crazy cool that at 13, you were like, this is what I want to do. And here you are. The, the, just the, the, the vision and then the follow through on that is, re, is like, did you, were you like that as a kid? Were you like, when you put your mind at something, you, you chased it? Was, was that like, is that a part of your personality or was it just this? No, it, that's not a part of my personality. I wouldn't say, you know, okay. but, it, it, but it was this, that I just had passion for it. Yeah. And, you know, I saw my friends, dads that were executives at companies and this and that. And like, it was, that wasn't. That wasn't something that interested me, you mm-hmm. know, that, that wasn't something that I, I fell in love with. I love this. I love sports. I love entertainment mm-hmm. and I love the business side of it. And I mm-hmm. think it's just very, very unique. And I thought it was a growing, um, a growing business, you know, and, and it is, you know, now, you know, when we have interns and things like that, you know, they come in and, you know, the first thing you say, I want to be the GM of the Yankees. I'm like, well, there's only one Yankee team <laughs> yeah. and there's only one GM and it's very hard, to you know, in it. this growing business. but but you got to work your way to get to that. And that's a good aspiration there. So did you, so you went to college and you studied sports and entertainment because there's not, they're not like, there's no college for, so, for running the Philadelphia arena. No, no. So sport and entertainment management was an up and coming, um, you know, when I was in high school, it was an up and coming, you know, profession. Uh, there were really three colleges in the United States that had it, Ohio University, the University of Massachusetts, and the University of South Carolina had just started it. I actually, my first semester, I went to the University of Massachusetts. Oh, you did? Yep. Okay. I went for one semester. I hated it. Yeah. And then I transferred um, after I, November. I called my parents. I was like, I don't like it here. Mm-hmm. They said, well, you got four years in college and you're not coming home to sit at home. I was like, I don't want to come home. I yeah. want to go to South Carolina. And so. Where's that school at? In Columbia. Okay. That's and, a beautiful town. Yeah. Great yeah. city. Great city. And so I came home and I was like, I, you know, I want to transfer. And, you know, I started, you know, I remember I left UMass on like December, like 16 or 17 and I started South Carolina like January 3rd. Wow. My parents dropped me off and said, you know, you got four years, get it done. So, and and, you know, the rest is history, but it was, um, it was an up and coming program. Um, 
Now I sit on an advisory board for them. You know, it, it's, you know, it's something that's really growing that university and that, you know, cause now kids see that and they say, Oh, sport and entertainment. I want to go do that. Yeah. And so it's now such a big program. Um, but the problem is, like we said, it's a very small world and to start getting involved in those jobs makes it a little bit tougher for those. You gotta be nowadays. good. Yeah. You, you gotta, gotta be, be really good and you gotta stand out. And so, and so what, what was the, what was the career path like from there? You graduate, where do you, what do you, where do you go? What do you do? So I graduated and I went, um, and I, and I interviewed a couple different places, but I knew I wanted to work in Philadelphia. Right. And yeah. I'm from there. And, and was I, it, was I, with Philly, was it, was it the, like the sports team? Was that so, the big? So uh, in Philadelphia, they had the Wells Fargo or they had the, the Wells Fargo center and the spectrum at the time. And they were growing a new private management company, um, called global spectrum. And I knew they were starting this company and I knew they were going to be a big player in the sport and entertainment industry, which they were. And they, you know, still are that company who it is today. It still is. But I knew I wanted to go work for these people, this group. Um, and I thought, cause I really thought it was going somewhere. So I went there, I wanted to, you know, get a job, you know, and they offered me a job in group sales. And I'm like, I don't want to sell. I, you know, I hate yeah. selling, you know, I don't want to call someone up and ask them to yeah. buy 40 tickets for Disney on ice or yeah. the Sixers or anything like that. So, yeah. so, but I took this job and, um, so you went back to Philly. I went back to Philadelphia, moved Doing back there. Sales. I start, started in group sales, selling group tickets to Disney on ice, Sixers games, flyers games. Yeah. You don't, you don't strike me as a, as a sales guy. See, May, I, I'm I, not I, saying you no, can't no, do no, it. No, no, I don't. But you know, one of the things I preach is that I think sales is everything I do every day. Okay. And I think I'm selling Unpack that for me. Okay. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I think everything I'm doing, I'm selling, whether I'm selling, uh, the building to a promoter, to an agent, to a, um, to a, you know, to a group, mm -hmm. you know, that this is the play for you. And this is why it's the play. Um, you know, I lead our premium seating. I lead our sponsorship. You, so you personally are, yeah, you're, so you're still doing a lot like, yeah. and you're, 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 so when like Paul McCartney, for example, like that's like he could go to AT and T. He could go like. So, are you in that? Are you making the that? Yes, yeah. I'm making that pitch to AEG and the and the promoter, which was uh, Beaver Productions, uh, combined with AEG. It was either us or Globe Life is where he was playing. Oh, because he, he played Globe Life last time. Yeah, and he could have yeah. played Globe Life again. And um, and you so know, you're making the pitch. Yeah. So did you learn about a lot about sales in that first job? Was it like? Yeah, I learned it all there. And I mean, you know, that first time I'm cold calling people, I remember sitting at a desk, cold calling, asking them to buy tickets to you know monster trucks, sweating, you know, just like the fear of sales. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing it and I started doing it well and I started loving it. You started exercising yeah. that. And then I'm like, okay. I so you liked this. it. Yeah, I did like it actually. Okay. And you know, I just felt like it was, it came natural at that point. Once I started doing it, I did it for a year and then I was promoted to the assistant manager of the group sales department, which at the time I think was like a $7 million department. So mm -hmm. good size group sales that we were doing annually. Yeah. Um, you know, and then um, I remember I, there was a job opportunity that came up to be an event manager and that's what I wanted to do because I knew being an event manager would take me to be in a GM or an AGM. And, and, then, and what's an event manager? Uh, really running the event. So when a concert comes in, it's running the production, you know, making sure that organizing it, everything is organized from the facility side to the show side and, you know, pulling it all together and making sure security's right. Catering's mm -hmm. right. You know, everything in the facility, you, you are the lead manager of the event that day. And I did, th that's what I wanted to do. And I went for this job offer and, and, um, 
and I didn't get it. And I was blown away that I didn't get it. Um, and I was kind of disappointed. And, you know, so I went back to the GM at the time and I said, um, how, you know, how old are you around? I was then? probably two years, a year and a half out of college. So I'm oh, 20, so early yeah, so 22, 23, you know, and 23 probably. And I said, you know, I said, Hey, I'd like to know why I didn't get the job. And he said, you know, I just didn't think you wanted it enough. And from that point forward, that was motivation for me. That was something that stuck with me and still sticks with me that whenever I went into something, I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that I wanted it and why I wanted it and how I wanted to get it. And that was part of the success. And I think part of the, the great opportunity that brought me here to Fort Worth. So, so that, so that flipped a switch in your mind yeah. of if I, if I show up or if I'm in, in the room, like, People are going to know. People are going to Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that, like, I made the comment earlier, like, you don't strike me as a, as, a, as a salesperson. But, like, and I think what I mean by that is that when I think of salespeople, a lot of times I think of, like, these just loud kind of personalities maybe. Yeah. You do strike me as if Matt wants something, he's going to get it. He's going to make it happen. You, like, very, very driven and... Yes, and that's so, that's exactly right. I am driven like that, and I will make it happen. Yeah, and, I'm like, you, know, you better I, get out of his way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, you know, but 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 it is something that's very important to me. And like, you know, I tell people, you know, when make your intentions known now, you know, and that's let, a great. Yeah, is that, is that like just a part of your philosophy and like way like yeah. so if if make people make people know that you want it. Yeah, make people know that you want it. Let them know what you want and go after it. Yeah. And, you know, and I love that. And a little bit don't stop until you get it. Right. I uh -huh. mean, that's, that's gotta, you gotta be driven for that. And yeah. so that's really important to me. So you got rejected. You told them that you learned this life lesson. And then, so then my career kind of takes, so then a couple months later, I'm back a, in sales. I get, no, I get, I go back in sales. Sixers are in the NBA finals. Um, Flyers are, you know, they're playing the Lakers in the NBA finals. The Flyers are, um, you know, in the conference finals, I'm selling great. I'm making great money as mm -hmm. a two years out of college. I'm loving life. And then they give me this job offer. The same company gives me a job offer to go to a, our building in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, to be an event manager. And, uh, I had to take a pay cut to do it. Like half my salary. Yeah, pay and you're cut. in Trenton. Which yeah, is, and I'm in Trenton, <laughs> which is, is um, not, 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 not America's greatest city, but, <laughs> but it was a great learning experience for but me. But you're getting to do the job you wanted. Yeah, and I didn't have to move. I just got married with my wife. We lived in outside Philadelphia. You know, I could make the commute, which was like 50 minutes. Um, it was kind of a grind, so I did that for a year. And then um, I saw that our company was just awarded the management contract to open and then run the new arena in Columbia, South Carolina. And I'm talking to my wife, and I get said, "Get to go back to your alma mater." Yeah, I mean, go back there. We have a little bit of a little bit more money than we had in college. You know, uh, go live in a house, and yeah. you know, go back to South Carolina. Cost we have of a lot living of friends there, there is better. Yeah, we have a lot of friends there, and it was a way for me to grow. I knew it was a way for me to grow, so I went into those that same person, and I said, "I want to go down to Columbia and open that building." My intentions yeah, my, are, no, yes. are clear. You know what I want to do, and so I went down there, opened the building as the director of events, was promoted to the assistant general manager. So you were good at like you were good at event management. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I still like, you know, uh, I have a director of events here who I just brought in and I've known for many years, and you know, I still get involved with it, and I gotta you know know where my line is at some points because you know one of the things I do not do is micromanage. I do not like to micromanage my staff. I like to hire good people, put them in good positions and opportunities for success, and let them go. 
And that's really important to me. So, so I kind of watch those lines every now and then. They know I'll give my opinions, <laughs> but I, I, I definitely, how, I definitely don't get too involved. How is like we're gonna take a detour? Like, yeah. w- like with that, not micromanaging. Like, is there, is, is there a, a rhythm or a structure or like you or a system by which you're like here's what I want you to do? Here's your parameters because n- not micromanaging is hard. I, I have a hard time not swooping in and because I ca- like sometimes I don't care about anything and then I care really specifically about certain things. <laughs> I do that from time to time. But do you like t- can you just unpack like your your leadership strategy? Well, you know, I think it's about, like I said, it's, it's about putting people in jobs and opportunities to be successful and letting them do what they can do. And so, you know, I hold meetings with all my top staff, you know, weekly meetings. I think that's really important. You know, I get updates, you know, because one of my other <laughs> famous things I say is surprises suck, you know, especially in the event business, they do. I mean, because no one likes surprises. So we'd like to be very detailed. So they do a great job and they've known me, um, you know, that they do a great job in helping keeping me in the loop of things that, that, so nothing surprises me. And I think that's what's really They manage expectations. And all of my leaders, you know, all the people, my directors and and vice presidents that work for me right now, I mean, out of the, you know, six of them, let's say five of them have worked with me for over five years. Okay. So we have a good rapport together. So your leadership team is approximately six, five, six people. Yeah, five or six people. And that weekly meeting is with those five or six. Yeah people and yep. what's the structure of that like what is let's come in let's talk and let's talk about the problems you know let's talk about what's going on let's talk about the upcoming weeks let's talk about what our struggles are both with staffing um internal struggles that we're having whatever they may be you know that you know chef isn't getting along with the you know catering department maybe or that you know marketing's not getting along with the event department and they're not getting information collaborating we talk through all those things together and um it's also talking about where we want to take the company. What are our goals for the organization? You know, one of the great things about this company that I work that I'm the president of now is that we're a 501c3 not-for-profit. I mean, it is amazing the way that this was set up, and a great tribute to Mr. Bass, Mr. Ed Bass, for setting it up this way because um, there's no other arena that is really like this in the United States, and so I get to remind people of that. And was that when when you got? Uh- offered the job was that in place yeah that was that was the that was the concept it wasn't in place that was the concept and then i came in with the help of some people uh and really put that all together and put it in place and he so the other thing that people don't know like there's a you know when when dickies was being built and they're like there's this this private partnership and this like and it's really ed (laughs) it's like yes he put so much like it's people don't know how much money he gave to that just because he wanted this thing in Fort Worth and because he loves Fort Worth and wanted it to be successful. It's truly an amazing story that is not recognized nearly as much as it should be. And the nonprofit was a part of that. Yes, the so nonprofit. Ex- explain how it works. Like, how does the whole thing work? <laughs> so, um, there was the EFFW was the developer and the partner with the city. You know, and the city put up $225 million that came from uh, no additional taxes to the citizens of Fort Worth. It came through, uh, and that $225 million gets paid back through a ticket tax, a parking tax, and a horse stall tax on the Will Rogers campus. And so it was so it's a, great, a loan, essentially. Yeah, yeah, to the city. And it's backed by bonds. And, you know, so, and then the other side was matched by Mr. Bass. And then um, it was also, and any overruns were also paid for him. So, 
on paper, the city knew they were getting a $450 million arena. For half the price. For half the price. And what they ended up getting was much more expensive arena than that. And then at the end of it, once it was built, it was gifted to the city. And then our organization, Trail Drive Management Corp., has a 70-year lease with the city. Um, and yeah, the so the owns, city owns it. The he city literally owns it. gave that he gave thing, it all to the city. Not because he wanted to make money. Not just not he, a penny. He had this vision like 30 years ago of like, we need an arena. We need an arena. Well, it really started when DFW bid on the Olympics back in, I think it was uh, early 2000s, I think. Starting before that. But, um, but yeah, they need an arena. And they, you know, they started to look at it once and then kind of the economy fell apart a little bit in, uh, early two thousands. And then they brought it back again. And, um, yeah, that's where I got very lucky, but you know, the only thing we can do with any net profit we make at that arena is put it back into the arena. Versus going to some, you know, yes, the billionaire's pocket, like, yep. or, or, you know, or whoever the or development, whoever company, the whoever development the, company is or the ownership or, you know, or, the, or even the city, you so know, it's all going back into the facility. And so, and here's the other great part of it. And you can't make a profit because you're a nonprofit. Well, we do make a profit, well, you, but, but yeah, but, but the money just sits there yeah. and just like, so when I need a new scoreboard, I can just dig into our, you know, into our profits from previous years and buy a new scoreboard. So it keeps it, keeps it from rotting. Self-sufficient. Or, yeah, yeah. We have to be self-sufficient. And that was what I was told. It's we're going to build this arena. The arena is going to open with little to no debt. And we did, we opened with a little bit of debt and that debt is completely paid off oh, already yep, wow. through the pandemic. We've completely paid off our debt. So we are debt free. Even while there's no events. And <laughs> well, you know, we did more, you know, we were able to do a little bit more, you yeah. know, so we were really only shut down from March to August. And then we start doing limited capacity and, you know, spaced out events and we'll, we'll get to code. We'll get yeah, to code. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, so, so, you, so the nonprofit, so the nonprofit um, was something that just was so unique to me. And I just fell in love with that concept. And I was like, I want to be a part of this because I don't know any other arena like this. And like when I was working in Philadelphia, I was working for Comcast, big cable company. Now, Mr. Snyder had died a couple of years prior. So now Comcast came in through that partnership in Philadelphia and started to take more control. Um, but you're it, at your dream job. Yeah, there. in Philadelphia. Yeah, I so mean, I'm at you, my dream job. 13-year-old yeah. Matt. This episode of Stories with Soul is sponsored in part by Project 202, the leader in experience-driven software strategy, design, and development. Whether you're looking to build a new software solution, redesign your mobile app, or kick off a digital transformation initiative, Project 202's customized approach creates solutions that work for your customers. Customer experience drives engagement, and cultivating that experience requires a ton of attention and time. Project 202 is local and has 18 years of design leadership. This team is an expert in using customer-centric methods to build compelling, data-driven customer experiences. Wherever you're at in your business journey, the diverse team at Project 202 will guide you from idea to execution. Go to project202.com. That's P-R-O-J-E-K-T. 202.com and click contact to begin winning the hearts of your customers and exceeding your business goals today. This episode is sponsored by the Fort Worth Business Press. As a Fort Worth entrepreneur and small business owner, the Business Press is my favorite source for news and updates about the entrepreneurial community in and around Fort Worth. I read their email newsletter literally every day. It's always full of insights and stories that really matter. Are you ready to be more connected? Sign up for their free newsletter at fortworthbusinesspress.com. But 
If you're like me and the newsletter just isn't enough, you can become an insider. With the code STORYTELLING10, all one word, you'll get a discount on the insider membership. Insiders receive exclusive access to special content, 24 issues of the Business Press delivered to your door each year, and discounts on event registrations and more. Join me and the Fort Worth Business Press in staying up to date on the people, companies, and issues that matter most to Fort Worth. Yeah. This is, is it. I'm, has done I go to every thing. Flyers, Sixers games. My kids come down, you know, Flyers warm-ups. Players are throwing pucks over to them, come in the locker room after the games. I mean, did you, did you, were you like, I've made it. This is what yeah. I want to do. I have no other ambitions. I'm done. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but so Comcast then took over and started, Start changing some things a little bit. Start trying to micromanaging. Yes, micromanaging was a key thing for Comcast. They love to micromanage and they love to overthink things a little bit. And you know, they started to say, you know, I'd go into a budget meeting and they said to me, "Well, you need to get three percent more." I'm like, three percent more? What are you talking about? The only way I can get three percent more is start cutting staff or start raising prices, and that's not a good philosophy. And three percent on. Millions and millions of dollars is a lot. Of, that's yes. a, that's yes. a big swing. It's like, well, we don't care. Just get 3%. And I just started to have a problem with this because, you know, in my business, like we can chase events and go after events. But, you know, as, as you heard earlier, you know, we booked 250 events at the Wells Fargo Center. I mean, that's a lot of events. There's not many open days left <laughs> after 250 events, yeah. right? And, you know, so... So it was something that I was just like, oh, man, this is this is getting strange how they're doing this. And um, just the, the the philosophy, and I can't make events up, you know? Like, sure, I can create an event of a drive-through Halloween thing, but how well is that going to do? Is it profitable? Is it worth it to us, you know? So it, so it started to train, you know, my mind started to be like, man, this, is, this isn't what it was, you know? And how long had you been doing that? Uh, in Philadelphia, I'd been doing it for, I was probably four, four and a half years. Four and a half years. Yeah, because I was there a total about five and a half years. So you you worked, you went you went to South Carolina, and then you went then you go to, went to Des Moines afterwards? Yeah, so yeah, after, so I went to South Carolina, I'm sorry, then I went to Des Moines, Iowa, uh, ran the Iowa Event Center, okay. which was been, pretty I've cool. I've been there a couple of times. Have you? I think yeah. I saw Keith Urban there, and then okay. Taylor Swift Yep, there. yeah, Taylor Swift was Maybe there. Maybe Journey. Yeah, I, I think. For some reason, in Iowa, we always had like a day off, and... <laughs> And then our agent would like get it like yeah yeah. So Des Moines and Des Moines was a great place to live for about five years. That's it's cool the coldest place to live in the winter. I mean, <laughs> yeah. my you know November you know November December through March was pretty miserable, yeah. but but it was a great place to raise kids when when we're when they were young. So, um, but it was a great thing for me is I ran two arenas and two convention centers at the time, and I'd never run a convention at center. the same time. Yep. Because wow. there was four buildings there at one, at one point. Now there's um, now it's down to two buildings. But you know, but yeah, at the time there was four buildings there. One of them was the old Vets Coliseum. Okay. And I'll tell you, can I tell a quick funny story yeah, about that? Shoot. So Vets Coliseum, we did Ozzy Osbourne in Vets. So we had the in Des Moines state uh, state tournaments were huge. So we'd have the state wrestling tournaments, boys basketball tournament, girls basketball tournament for three weeks straight. We'd do three hundred thousand people. Would be a lot of people in three weeks. So we didn't have a date for a concert in the arena, but I talked uh, to AEG, who's one of the largest concert promoters, about putting Ozzy into Vets. And they need a fill date, so it kind of worked out. And then I also sold them on the fact that I said, they're like, well, it's Vets, it's old, I don't know if we want to play there. I go, yeah, but did you know this is the place where Ozzy bit the head off the bat? Oh, that's the, that's the, that's the spot? <laughs> that was the spot. Uh -huh. And they go, really? And I go, yes. And they go, 
oh, hang on, we'll come back to you on this. And I, and they went to management, and management's like, yeah, let's go play this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so when Ozzy was there, you know, we went into the dressing room, was talking to him, and said, you know, Ozzy, did you, do you remember this is where you did it? And he looked out, and he goes, I thought it looked a little familiar. <laughs> and I was like, that was great. You know, it's just awesome. Ozzy kind of stumbling out and like looking up there and it was pretty funny though. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that was a great funny story though. Dude, that's good. So, so you in so, Iowa. And so then- in Iowa ran that for about five years. Um, and then this opportunity came, they called me and said, we want you to come run the Wells Fargo center. And I was like, the dream job, yes, the bucket list. Yes. And I was like, and I went home and I told my wife, I was like, we're going back home. We're going to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. My mom still lived there. Um, you know, my family has a beach house in New Jersey, which is an hour away, which mm-hmm. is great. You know, the kids can go to the beach all the time. It's like, perfect. We're, we're done moving. We'd moved three times. Like, this is it. Kids yeah. can settle in and we're good. But then it, it got bought or Comcast came in. So then Comcast came in and then this opportunity came up and I was contacted by a local recruiter here in Fort Worth. Because there's only like 200 of these guys that know yep. how to run the arena. So the story, you're, you're the on a short list. Tr- yeah. The true story is, so two guys that I knew who used to work for our company started their own management company and was just trying to hustle different arenas and up and coming arenas. And this was one of them here in Fort Worth. And they got to the, you know, some people at EFFW and EFFW said, listen, we're not, we're not going to be a management company. We're going to be a not-for-profit. Our minds are made up on that, but we do need, we are looking for someone to help, you know, run it. we like someone that's run big markets, small markets, understands it and can go get events and kind of, you know, really get ingrained in the community and be a part of Fort Worth. Cause that's what Fort Worth is. And they said, well, we know a guy, he runs Philadelphia, but you know, he's probably not interested. That's where he's from. And blah, blah, blah. And so, um, they called me and, um, and I went home and and I was talking to my wife and I said, look, I, I got to chase this a little bit. I got, this is kind of unique. I don't know what direction Comcast is going with all this. It was unique because the nonprofit, the nonprofit. Yeah. The nonprofit side. And when you heard Fort Worth, Texas, was that like, was that like being a from Philly? I'm assuming that's like, that sounds like a stretch. Well, I'd actually been here before oh, yeah, okay. and my, uh, my wife's brother lives in Dallas. Okay. And so she'd been here before and, you know, so we had, we'd been to Fort Worth. So yeah. So I was like, you know, and I knew, I was looking at, you know, comparisons. I was like, Fort Worth's growing and doesn't have another arena. And you look at these other major markets, like, you know, look at LA, LA and Anaheim. There's two separate worlds out there. Right. Even New York, Long Island and Belmont, you know, or Long Island and, um, and Madison Square Garden, really, you know, two separate worlds out there. So I was like, there's something there. And um, so I came, to, I, did a, I did an interview. They asked me to do an interview. I did an interview in this law office, you know, that I'd never done before, like a virtual interview, which I was like, wow. Okay, this, so video. So you didn't, yeah, you didn't come video down. interview. And I was like, wow, this is kind of strange, you know. And, um, it, it, you know, and then... And then they called me a couple of weeks later and said, we'd like you to come down. We'd like to schedule you to come down for a, um, for a in-person interview. And I said, so I went home, told my wife and I was like, you know, she's like, well, that's great news, but I'm not moving. <laughs> oh, she said that. Yeah. How old were the kids at, the, at this time? Um, so when they moved here, so they were in you know, fourth grade, second grade and pre-K. Okay. So elementary. So still so not, elementary. they're not in high, they're not nope. that settled nope. in. So came down, I interviewed and I was like, you know, my wife's name's Paige. I said, Paige, this is amazing. This is going to be the nicest arena in the United States. It's going to be a not-for-profit. And I was like, I think I can do something here. Like, I think I can make this special. And I think I can build something here that would be, you know, 
almost like a legacy project for myself. Yeah. For I was sure. like, and the other piece of it is that's the running side. The other piece is that there's two other pieces really. One is that I get to be involved in some of the design. So it, and so when I say design, like I did not get into the structural design yeah. of the roof and you know, the, the things that, but the way it flows. And like, and, yes. The and, backstage, and the you seating know, systems. you know that better than anybody. Yeah. And the operation system, there's the scoreboards. Cause the, they hadn't broken ground. Nope. They hadn't, we hadn't even broken ground on the garage. And the people, most people didn't even know about, did they know about it then? I yeah, guess they kind of did. Yeah, it was, it was, um, the, there was it a, had passed the, it passed bond the vote, stuff. the bond vote, you know? So, so yeah, I think they knew it was coming, but I don't think anyone thought they knew what it would do. I think it was just no. going to be the new home of the rodeo. Yeah, I don't think I anybody mean, thought it Pat would be. Pat Green has told me multiple times, he goes, Homan, he goes, I didn't think it would ever happen and you could ever do it, but you're doing it, bud. You're crushing yeah. it. So yeah. he said that to me about three weeks ago. And, yeah. and, and so I was like, I know, Pat, it's great. You know? Yeah. you know, but anyway, so that was one piece. But the other piece was, you know, I was a guy that was working probably 240 out of those 265 events at Wells Fargo Center. Every night. Every night. And so, and I had little kids and I said to my wife, I said, here's an opportunity for the next three years. You know, I can be there for all my kids stuff. You, you know, I don't dinners. have to miss anything. I can do dinner, you know, yes, I'm going to, you know, it'll get back to that in the events world, but you know, it's going to happen when they're older. And, you know, and so that was a unique thing, a unique piece to it as well that I think was better for my home life. Right. And because it's it was a grind. I mean, in Philadelphia, for instance, we would play, we would have events, and I'd work a Sixers game till eleven o'clock at night, and then I'd be at work the next morning by seven, and we'd play ice hockey in the morning. And we'd play, you know, when the hockey before a Flyers game, we'd play in the morning. We called ourselves the Seven Fifteeners. Oh, you were you were playing oh, hockey? Yeah, yeah. We'd, I'd play. Yeah. No, 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 I'd play. No, I would be playing hockey. You were okay. So I'd wake up and go play hockey, and and uh -huh. that was life, you know. Yeah. And then I'd do it again that night, watch the Flyers game, and, and the only time, time I'd see my kids would be if they came to an event or if something happened at school during the day. I could you know sneak off and go see them, but yeah. it was rare that I was home for for dinner and homework and stuff. That's a grind. Yeah, and it was, it was. So, so you're a hockey guy. I love hockey. Yeah. Do you get to play here at all? No, I don't skate. That's my not... youngest, my youngest son still plays though. Oh, he, is he playing? He, yeah, he's playing. So both my sons played, and um, you know, my youngest is still playing. He actually is playing JV hockey for a high school for Grapevine Colleyville High School. Oh, they have a hockey team. Yeah, they have no a hockey way. team. Yeah, so that's yeah, cool. Yeah, so it's fun. So so you 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 pitched Paige on it. Yep. So I pitched her on it. I said, I'm going to be home for dinner. Yes. And she said, she said, okay. She goes, you know, I, I understand. And she goes, I, I'm all in. And, you know, I sold her on the idea and I said, like, this is going to be good for us. It's going to be good for our family. Like it's going to be a better spot. So, and I said, look, we can't keep doing this. The one thing I didn't want to do is like, I don't want to, the conversation we'd have, you know, in bed at night was, I don't want to screw up our kids. I don't want to think we're like gypsies and we move every you know, every five years. Cause that's not what I want to do. And she said, well, listen, if we do this, whatever happens, we stick with this, you know, and the kids can go through high school and, and, and we'll be fine. And I said, I agree. And so were you feeling burnt out? I mean, you weren't, you, you were, the schedule sounds, sounded daunting. Were you feeling the weight of, you know, burnt out is, is something, is something that does happen in our industry. And, you know, I get burnt out for like a day and, you know, Maybe a day, you know, there's not, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, day, you know, after the rodeo's over for 23 days straight, that Monday morning, I'll, <laughs> I'll probably sleep in a little bit, you know, or that Sunday morning, I'll sleep in a little bit. I like my sleep that when I do that. Next day, I might yeah. sleep in. So 
I don't get burnt out for where just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I might get an, a day where I'm like, I'm tired and I need to need to sleep and I'm going to take my time before I go into work today. And, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I encourage that to all my staff too, because I don't want to burn them out. You know, and so it's very important to me at this facility that staff has a good balance between work and life. Mm-hmm. That's extremely important to me right now. And I lead by it, you know, like I try not to miss most, almost any of my kids activities, sports, school, whatever it is, you know, it's great now. Cause I live in Fort Worth. I'm seven minutes from their school. I'm, you know, five minutes from home or 10 minutes from home. And so I can do those things and, and I have a great team and I teach them the same thing. Look, you guys need to do these things as well. And so that's really important. You, they show up, you show up your, you show up, you do your best work when you're like, you're feeling in a mentally good place when yeah, you're, when you're absolutely like you, you're going to work better when you're when you're all the other things are in place and you're healthy and yes yes and it's just it just leads to a better life and it's it's a strenuous life because you know our events don't start until seven o'clock doors open at six but people are there loading in and doing all the stuff at like starts at 6 a.m 6 sometimes a. M., yeah. and then and but you know and you know on a concert night you know no one's out of the door the parking lots aren't clear at 11 35 you know like that's <laughs> So, but your, your comment about, ah, I get burnt out, I'm tired for it. Like you are a high capacity person. Like, yeah. You like to, you probably get anxious if you're not. Yeah. I, I get bored quickly. Yes. <laughs> I get very not. bored quickly. Like if I'm not doing something, like a doing something you different. Need, you need to be, you need I, to run. I, I, uh, <laughs> I joke with this, but I don't like it when my calendar, like I don't have anything listed on my calendar. Uh-huh. Like I like it when I'm back to back to back meetings and going from one thing to another. That's like, got to go. Yeah. I enjoy that because, you know, for me, you know, I'm, one meeting might be about marketing. Then I'm talking about operations. Then I'm, you know, calling about, you know, a show and making a deal on a, on, on an event or booking an event. So yeah. I like it when it's, when I, when I'm packed like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So when you, so you came here and the arena doesn't open for four more years uh, but you're getting to speak into, you're getting to kind of create this thing. You're going to wave the magic wand and not, you know, not, not like carte blanche, but you, you got to design the operations of how that's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was something special. And you're working with D- David, David Schwartz is the architect. David Schwartz was the, the design architect. HKS was the, um, actually architect of record, um, which they build arenas all over. Um, so, and you know, I start to build my staff. This was the other great thing. And I start to build the best of the best staff. Mm-hmm. And because this is the job, you know, it's different. You know, I was able to sell people on, you know, Fort Worth one, what mm-hmm. we're going to do here nonprofit too, because they were all going through it. Bill Shaw, who's our AGM VP of operate or VP of operations, uh, who's been with me. He was employee one that I hired, um, helped with all the back of house and all the, you know, FF and E purchasing and everything else. But, you know, he was the, uh, director of operations at soldier field in Chicago. Mm. And he was going through the same thing, you know, working, you know, for SMG, which is another private management company, you know, it was a grind, you know, it was never the same thing. And, you know, the company, the company would fight with the bears and, you know, there was always this whole thing and you couldn't Sque- do the right thing for the right thing. Squeezing all the money you could yes, squeeze out yes, of. Yes, yes, yes. Which, which crushes the soul of like. Yes, it's exactly. So, Bill, the, so the nonprofit that was set up is really a unique and special thing. Yes. Bill and I were talking the other day, we're looking at a new curtain for the arena. Mm-hmm. And we looked at this thing that aesthetically didn't look very appealing. And I said, no, I just said, Bill, I said, look, we haven't 
we've been cheaped out on anything that we've done thus far. We're not going to do it now. So I said, let's, let's do the real one. He goes, I think the same thing. He goes, yeah. I agree with you. And so, and you're empowered get, to make those. Yeah, we're empowered to make those decisions. That's the great thing as well. And so. the city of Fort Worth reaps the benefits. Yes. Yes. Like that, that was like when I first went in it, when like the grand opening, like it is, it's just so nice. I mean, it, like, it's a performing arts hall as an arena. Yeah. It's like bass hall meets but Amer- like compared to American Airlines and compared to these oh. arenas, like it, there's marble and these fancy stairs. And yeah, like- I mean, you look at all the decorative lights and all the mm-hmm. you know Texas references. How the building fits within the cultural district. Yeah. I mean, oh, it looks just classy. It's, just, it's a piece of the cultural district yeah. there. You know, it's nothing that sticks out. It's not a glass building. Yeah. You know, I've been to some other new buildings here. You know, and I went to the Moody Center down in Austin recently. Very nice building. Mm-hmm. Great new building. It's not Dickie's Arena. No, yeah. It's not finished out like Dickie's Arena when you see exposed ceilings and yeah. you know, things that I never thought of before I came here. Yeah. You know, that that attention to detail was something that I learned here yeah. at a very quick and early process. And, and that the, was all credit to Mr. Bass. Yeah. I mean, his attention to detail with this project was amazing. Yeah, I mean, he, every single little Every little single thing. thing. And, and, I mean... Whether it's the grass ornamental railings, the fabric walls, the hard ceilings, yes. I mean... And the acoustics. The acoustics. That was one of the things he told me. He goes, Matt, you know, when I started, he goes, we need to sound better than American Airlines Center. Yeah. And American... And so, like, I was yeah. just at a concert at American Airlines Center, like, two weeks ago. It sounded... Ter- Granted, I'm spoiled because yes. I've been going to, yeah. <laughs> to Dickie's well, shows. That's good. It sounded so... And I felt so far away... I forgot like how far away you feel from the, yeah. we were in like a, a suite and, but if you're the suite of Dickie, like you feel you're everywhere there. feels close. the action. But I, I was there, I was there with Ed. I think it was, it was either right after open or it, it, there was not a thing going on, but, but he was like, listen to how quiet it is. And we're like clapping and, yeah, and like the soundproofing is, is bonkers. Yeah. And is it true that you like pump in, like re-mic the audience, the audience, to like make it sound louder for like basketball games and yeah, stuff. Yeah, basketball games. So. so a lot every building, you know, every NBA building does that. But yeah, I didn't I, yeah, know I, because he was saying it's so quiet that it sucks all the sound because it's so acoustically tuned. You have to mic the audience and put it in the speakers to make it sound. You put some bass underneath the seats every now and then, you know, and that kind of pumps it in. It, it's good for atmosphere too. Yeah, you know, you know. But the but the but the building itself is so dialed in in a special way yeah i mean you know when george Strait comes and plays he uses our house sound system you know uh-huh. you're a music guy when have you know when have you gone in you can't go into an arena and use a house no sound system. yeah normally they bring their own yeah yeah and because it, it's an l acoustics house sound system and we went amazing. and bought the best of the best yeah you so know was that fun getting to like to to decide that's like yes it not was only you have you managed arenas but you get to like i can kind of get into help yeah it was a lot of fun for a couple of years because you were going out and you know, you wanted to build the best of the best, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, even the seating system, you know, you know, we chose a seating company and we said to him, we said, look, whatever seating configuration that we go to, we want it to feel like it was meant to be in this seating configuration. That's mm-hmm. the most important aspect. Because it changes. It, yeah. Yeah. Because it changes all the time for almost every event that we have. You're, you're changing the, the seating. seating system and the configuration. But yeah. And like, you know, for rodeo it changes to a totally different seating configuration. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when we get to a really wide and long floor. So the pitch changes on a lot of those seats to create those rodeo boxes. So, 
so yeah, it's that was something that was important to us. So the attention to detail is something that we just never stepped away from there. Mm -hmm. So then, so was there a point where like, okay, I feel like I made the right, all right. Were you? Was there a nervousness of, are people going to show up? Yeah, there was definitely because, I mean, so I guess, you know, we opened in November of 19. I mean, from 17 to 19, you know, look, Matt, Matt and in, in concert with Brad Barnes, head of the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, you know, I came up, we came up with all the premium seating together, sold all the premium seating, sold all the uh, sponsorships as well. And I think that's something that I'd like to come back to because I think yeah. the sponsorship packages that we have at Dickies Arena. Like is, selling it to Dickies. Yeah. The naming rights. It, but it's unique. But I'd like to come back to that in a second. But so I'm telling all these people what we're going to do. And then it's coming up to November of 2019. I'm like, all right, now I got to produce, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. and, and I, I, were, I was, right? But it's getting, you know, I was getting the first couple events in and people were like, yeah, we're going to go play the new hot building because it's the new hot building. But now what it's turned into. People want to play there. People want to play here. It's probably the hottest market in the United States. Really? Yeah. I mean, probably the hottest market in the United States Why? right now Why? For, for sports and entertainment. Oh, for sports and entertainment? Yeah, in ticket sales and everything else, yeah. Just because you're crushing it in sales? Yeah, because we're crushing it in sales. I think the promoters are realizing that it's a new market for them, that it isn't Dallas. You can play both Dallas and Fort Worth, which was something that I was saying you could do, yeah. but wasn't able to prove it. Yeah. I mean, next week, Post Malone's playing Dallas, American Airlines Center sold out, and Dickie's Arena sold out. You know, he's doing, and there's not like a radius, no radius, radius clauses are kind of going away now. You know, really? which, okay. which is for the for the for arena that, acts, that, yeah, that. yeah, because I mean, they're doing it all over. You know, they'll play Anaheim in L.A., they'll play you know three shows in New York City, you know, at, at three different venues. So, so yeah, it's starting. People are believing it, but the ticket sales aspect of the town supporting it is amazing. And it's not just coming, you know, it's coming from everywhere where I thought it would be, which was really that 360 line, you know, highway 360 and West. And that's kind of our radius of where we're really and drawing. And it's local from. people that are buying. It's local people that are buying. But you, but you didn't know that was going to be the case. I, I mean, mean I, know, I know a lot of people are spending. I thought it was going to be the case. <laughs> you did? But you I, did? I, well, I did think it was going to be the case, but I mean, it was also Matt taking an educated guess at it. Yeah, you know, but and, you're in sales mode and you're, you're saying it's... I'm pitching it's, everyone. And, you know, we sold out suites like that. We sold out all of our radio boxes. And suites are like 100 grand, you know, like you're, yep. you're, you're like yeah. this. You can't see them yet. I can't tell you who's playing yet, but I promise people are going to come. And it's going to include all your tickets, all your parking. Yeah. You know, it, that was the other thing is like we said, we're not going to come in and nickel and dime people mm -hmm. for premium seating because that's not our goal. You know, our goal... Um, our goal was, and I think hopefully by next year, I think this will happen is that, you know, for the rodeo, all of our lower level will be sold out to uh, premium seating. Mm. And I think that will be a great accomplishment when we do that. Yeah. All of our, pre all of our lower level will be sold out to premium seating for the rodeo. So that's cool. Which will be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the whole, the whole concept of like the, um, the Avion club, like this rest, so, this yeah. rest, like, is anybody else do that? Is that a thing anywhere else? Yes, it is. It but is. I mean, you know, when you go into these other arenas, sponsorship, and you know, this is what I wanted to touch on. Okay, sponsorship yeah. was something that, you know, these other arenas just thrive on and they're out there selling everything they can. They'll sell that, you know, uh, you know, the floor space if they can, you know, atrium takeovers with just, you know, you know, advertising on the floor. So where you you're walk walking. into and it feels like a billboard. Yes. And I feel like that when I walk into 
you know, American Airlines Center. It's a big billboard everywhere. You see at home dripping down at you. Yeah. I said, we're not going to do that. You know, what we're going to do is less is more. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a couple founding partner sponsors. We're going to give them more than they could get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's it. We're going to do it with locations, digital signage, and, you know, activation for them and mm-hmm. let's make everyone happy and make we're, it taste and we're going to ask for we're going to ask for a little bit more money than someone else would but i'm not out there we're not out there selling you know fifty thousand hundred thousand dollar sponsorships mm-hmm. we're asking for mid to large six-figure sponsors yeah and those are major sponsors for us and the fort worth stock show and rodeo because that was the other key point is that the rodeo and us we're, we, we we like to think of ourselves as like brother companies, right? Okay. I can't say sister companies because Brad Barnes would get very mad at that. We're brother <laughs> companies. But, yeah. but um, you know, so we went into this together and we just said less is more as long as we're aligned together. You know, they can't separate us and it'll be beneficial for both the sponsor and for us long term. And we're seeing that right now and we're definitely reaping those benefits. So, you know, I'm not out there searching for a new sponsor. Um, you know, you know, even during the pandemic, we were able to, you know, some of those sponsors actually renewed for multiple years afterwards, which is good. So we're into those long-term relationships. That's important to us. And we want to find the right fit. Um, there's a certain brand right now that might be re- revitalizing. And, you know, and they said, well, you're just going to go pitch against me to my competitor. I said, I'm actually not. You know, you either want this or you don't. And if you don't, I don't need you. I can go find the right company that's a right fit for us. That's right with the brand. That's right with our brand. That's not that understands what we're trying to do and appreciates the fact of what we're trying to do. But and again, going back to the the nonprofit side and the no debt side and the and the you have the ability to do that. You're not desperate. Like correct. You're 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 not desperate. Was it what was it like like that like I just like going and I'm trying to remember the first concert. We went to Twenty One Pilots. Yeah, I think it was Twenty One Pilots, and then the Black Keys was like yep, the next yep, Black week. Keys. Or, uh, yeah, the Black Keys was second, right and then George Strait. Yep. And I was like, this is so. It w- it was just it just was so fun, and it was so close, and it was like, were you were you freaking out? Were you like geeking out? Like, what was oh, going through your head in that? Oh, the first the first or were month you just of, stressed because yeah. they're yeah the first <laughs> month of opening in arenas is stressful, right? It's uh-huh. lots of hours, lots of things don't go right, you know. Uh-huh. You know, we talk about it like we plan as much as we could, but we knew that things were going to go wrong. Right. And we knew we were going to mess up some things. And and so it was patience. Right. You know, and I think that was something that was really important to us. I mean, you know, we had our nights, whether it be in the Avion Club in the North Club up there where dinner service didn't go the way we did. We wanted it to go. We certainly had those where, you know, ticketing entering lines were longer Parking was, you know, a little while to get out. You know, our goal every time is to clear that parking lot within 35 minutes after the show. That's I feel our like goal. it's fast. It really is now. If you, especially now, if you go there and you know where you want to get to, yeah, people can get out really easily. I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was very skeptical about traffic and parking. I was like, how are they gonna pull this off on this little bitty Montgomery Street? But it's great, and it's so parking is so easy, and it's so close, and it's not confusing. It's like you go to the cowboy. Or, you know, globe life with the Cowboys. I'm like, I don't know. It's so it's just confusing and frustrating. And now I'm angry and I'm waiting in lines. And Dickie's just like, you just pull up, you go right. There's yeah. all the parking. Yeah, it's easy to get in, easy to get out. But we wanted that. We wanted that customer experience because we want the guy from Keller to come down and be like, I'd much rather go to Dickie's Arena than I would over at American Airlines Center. 
You know, that's just a grind over there. And I've done it. You did it a couple weeks ago. And you go over there for a show. And, I mean, you don't get home before midnight. No, yeah. At, at the best. I went right? to the Cotton Bowl. Oh. It took us like an hour and a half to get out, an hour and a half to get in. It was. I went to the Cotton Bowl for the Winter Classic for the hockey, the outdoor hockey, hockey game, yeah. right? Which I, And then I came home. I took my two boys. I came home and I said to my wife, I said, I'm never going back there again. Yeah, some cuss Last, words were said. Oh, yeah, I said, I'm never going back to that venue again. My two boys, all they wanted was a water or a soda or something like that. And we, and you could buy beer anywhere from the Hawkers, but you couldn't buy a soda or a water. I was yeah. like, you had to go wait in a line of one concession stand that was like 60 deep. So then what I did last year, I went back to see the Rolling Stones at the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. So, but, yeah. And after that, I said, really, this is my last is time my last, coming, yeah. coming to the Cotton Bowl. Exactly. But but in, in the hustle, like, was there a moment or a show or a concert or event where you, like, got to stop and you're, like, just, like, was there a moment of... At Dickie's Arena? Yeah, at Dickie's of just, like, like, do you have any of those moments in your head where you're, like, this is pretty awesome? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I probably there's that first year, um, you know, that first year I was running around a lot and so I probably didn't appreciate it like I could have. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this... Uh, September a year ago when Clapton played and that was like our first big back concert. Okay. Yeah. And he did a couple of rehearsal dates there. Oh, I he did rehearsals there. Yeah, he did. Oh, that's cool. I walked out there and I was like, this is awesome. You got to see Clapton like yeah. in an empty room. Yep. Oh, talking cool. to the, talking to the guy, you know, he was talking to his, um, I think it was like his piano player. It wasn't his piano player. It was like his, um, he had a big, uh, what do you have there? one of his instrumental guys and he was talking to him and the guy was like, I actually lived here for five years. And you know, they're just having conversation on stage. Oh, that's cool. Anyway, that was really neat. But when, when that building is full, you know, when Clapton actually played and the building was full, I was like, we're back and this is good, you know? Yeah. And, and that was something to me. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, because you just weren't sure where it was going to go at that point. Co COVID. So yeah, you after COVID you yeah. opened in November, opened November of 19 and then shut down March of 2020. <laughs> you got six years of your life to make this thing. We had a great first rodeo. Yeah. And then <laughs> just shut down March shut of 2020. Down. And what's going through your mind? Oh, a lot. Um, just, Oh shoot. Where are we? What's going on? You know, um, when, you know, this will be over soon. <laughs> had you ever canceled stuff like that? Like in your, in your career of doing this, had you ever like, I'm no. sure you canceled like a show. Yeah. There was canceled shows. Um, there was bad experiences in, with canceled shows, but nothing like this, nothing where it was just mass cancellation for, for the oncoming months. And, and you then, probably had to fire people. So again, the benefit of an op for profit is I actually went to our board and I said, look, I laid out a plan, said, you know, because again, remember day one, the goal was you have to be self-sufficient. There's, you know, there's no city money coming back to you. The private side has done its share in building this facility. The private side's not doing anything back for this facility. So you need to be self-sufficient. So I went to my board. Um, I said, look, arenas are furloughing, laying off people all over the country. I said, um, I'm not fully staffed right now. You know, I don't want to lay anyone off. And here's my plan of how we can survive this. Wow. And um, how long did it take you to make that plan? Well, you know, it was probably in summer of 2020. So, I mean, it was, it was probably three, it was probably a couple weeks. When, of, you, when you saw the writing yeah. on the wall, yeah. this is not stopping anytime when soon. It was, it was probably April or May. And I was like, all right, I need to come up with something here. So you came up with a plan, you yep. presented it. Yep. And they said, and they said, yeah, we support it. And, and, and so they said, we think you got a good plan. 
So I'm not going to hire anyone. We're going to, you know, events. It looked like we were going to start doing some small events in August, which we did start doing some more events. You know, we were fortunate because of a nonprofit, we were able to get PPP loans. Um, so that was, that was helped us. I'm sure your PPP loans were pretty giant. Uh, they, were, they weren't that big. Okay. I mean, they're, you know, but you know, they were, they were backed up. I mean, it was, it was seven figures, but yeah. just over seven figures. Yeah. It wasn't like, it wasn't yeah. like $3 million or anything but, like but that. Like PPP loans saved everybody. Yes, they did. Absolutely. But I'll say this, even without the PPP loans in each of our fiscal years and our fiscal years, you know, go from, um, November one, to October 31. So we're ending our fiscal right now. Each of our years we've, we've showed a profit even without the PPP loans. Wow. That's amazing. So you're wrap you're wrapping it right now. Yep. And was last year, 2020, I guess 21, 22 was good. This is our best year we've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did 156. We're going to do 156 events this year. Um, yes. And we're going to have a, you know, a large profit that helps us build to protect the asset for the city of Fort Worth. Yeah. That's so which, cool, which, man. It's, it's amazing. It really is. I mean, what 156 events. When I first got here, I thought we'd do a, my performer was 120 events that okay. would do. We'll do 20 concerts. And I thought that was, hey, look, if we do 20 concerts here, we're gonna be okay, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, and that was the pro forma, right? And that's why I built it. We're gonna do 30 concerts this year. I'm budgeting to do 30 concerts again next year. I mean, now you're a major player in the concert industry if you're doing yeah. 30 concerts. In Philadelphia, at the Wells Fargo Center, one of the busiest arenas in the year uh, the, in the world, you know, my five years there, our top number of concerts was 28. Oh, wow, and you've already beat it. And and, it, and it's because not only people are buying tickets, but people are also want to play here because they're like, your numbers are crazy. Y'all are yes. crushing it. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the grosses that we're putting out there are just wowing everyone. You know, the sellouts, every show just seems to be selling out. We sold out, you know, and it's not just... And it's little, like, not It's little. not just country music, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's new kids, or it's a, a new edition. You know, new edition sold out. You know, um, you know, Keith Urban sold out a couple weeks ago. Keith Urban sold out. That's great. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, and then, you know, it's the rock shows. It's, you know, Duran Duran, a sellout. You know, Duran Duran, the agent did not want to play Fort Worth. He said, no, we're not playing Fort Worth. And the local Live Nation promoter, Anthony Nicolaitis, and I sold him on the fact that they need to play Fort Worth. Said, the market's hot. It's yeah. new. It's different. You can do well in Fort Worth. There's been a lot of shows that sold out when, like, I was not expecting. Yeah. I mean, you know, Whiskey Myers this past weekend sold out. And Co you were talking about, you, you were earlier, like, off mic, we were talking about you, you, you like to see, want to develop talent. You yes. Wanna, that's, and there's, a, there's ambitions to also kind of revamp Will Rogers. Yes. The Will Rogers, the auditorium. So I think there, there's ambitions to redo the, the arena as well and make, bring that up to, uh, you know, a little bit more current, but. What really interests me is that auditorium. Mm -hmm. And because now, you know, what I see is that you're creating a market right here. You know, Fort Worth doesn't have, you know, or didn't have until about two weeks ago, a club, yeah. right? And now that Tanny Hills Tavern that Live Nation's a partner in is that club here mm -hmm. in Fort Worth over at the Stockyards, which is great. Yeah. You know, if we can redevelop, we've started to do some shows at the theater, at the Will Rogers Theater during how, the stock show. How big is that theater? 2,800 seats. Okay. At that theater during the stock show, we started doing some last year uh, or two, you know, three years ago in 2020, we came up with this concept. We did about three or four shows mm -hmm. last year. Uh, we did five shows. 
Uh, this year, you know, during the stock show, we hope to do eight or nine shows. And your your team is doing those. My team, along with Live Nation, yes. We, I didn't realize you like y'all. Yeah. You were a part a part of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're the ones that are actually working with Live Nation so, to promote so, and create. So y'all that are running series. Dickies, and then also kind of have have Will Rogers. There. We do not run anything at Will Rogers, but, but we. But the theater, you can yeah, book stuff. We there. can book stuff there, okay. and I'm trying to book and engage the concert community, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have the marketing assets to back it up now. You know, we have the databases and things that we can go out there and, you know, attack at people. We can help market yeah. it locally when people are at the arena. Yeah. And it's good for live music, right? Yeah. You want to take these bands and develop them. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to take a band from the club to the theater to the arena. Yeah. And you're starting to see, it, you know, these Texas Red Dirt Country bands, mm -hmm. which Red Dirt Country to me seven years ago was like, what is that? What is you know, this I don't know. weird thing? But, yeah. you know, you're starting to see these guys really develop. And I think Dickie's Arena... Is launching them to to another category right now because it was Co Wetzel's first arena. It was, it was Co, you know, I think was it was Parker's first. Parker McCollum. Parker was the first one on New Year's Eve. Okay, and remember he played um, the I think it was Dos Equis or Toyota Music Factory over in Irving. He played mm -hmm. Toyota Music Factory four months before that. Announced his New Year's Eve show that night, sold New Year's Eve out. Wow. Huge night for him. So now Parker's you know done two big shows in the market within four months of each other. Wow. So that starts to show people right away that they are two separate markets, yeah. right? Yeah, that's interesting. So that's one. And then you have um, you have Co Wetzel come up, sell Co Wetzel out. What a great show that was. Local guy, so it had some flavor, but yeah. you're definitely one of these artists that's growing. Uh, and then last weekend, Whiskey Myers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a couple artists that'll start to, you know, they're starting to, pick up on this and that want to do it. This and, is a good, this is a good first arena step because the city is so bought into it. They're gonna they're gonna support. They love going. Like, let me remind you, Whiskey Myers sellout was the same night as Cody Johnson at Panther Panther Pavilion. Oh wow! And that was I think there was ten thousand people there at least. Mm. So you have those two shows sold out on top of each other. Mm. So part of your vision is getting to not is develop talent and bring like you want you want the big guys and you want the Paul McCartney's, but you're also getting to kind of. Yeah, you want to see artists grow and, you know, and they stay loyal to those places that help them grow and put them on the spot. Yeah. You know, another one, we did the UNT Health Science, um, you know, event last year, which was their fundraiser. Zach Bryan was the opener. Uh -huh. I mean, Zach Bryan right now is one of the largest, you know, you know, country guys out there. Yeah, right now, now he's crushing it. He's crushing it. He yeah. was the opener. That's cool. I mean, you know, not many people did it. And then after that, he played two sold out nights at Billy Bob's a couple uh -huh. months later. Yeah. He announced Billy Bob's the week later and sold out two nights. Wow. I mean, just doing great things there. But, you know, so I think this, this market could be a place to launch people. And I think they come in, they could see it. There's a great experience and, you know, it's a great facility for them as well. Can you, what is it like when you are, going back to your, the sales stuff earlier, like when you're pitching someone, when you're pitching Paul McCartney, come to Dickies, George Strait, you know, what, what, what is the process like? Is it like, hey, there's a tour, submit a bid? Is it like, are you calling the manager? Like, what is, walk me through a process so of that. You know, 90% of the time. Or a you tournament. Know, or, yeah. you know, or 90% of the time or, I'm in the rental business with those groups, right? But it's relationships that I have. So rent, the, Rental business? What does that mean? So, like, the promoter will come in and just rent the building from okay, us. Okay. So, you but, know, you're, but you're pitching that person. Yes. But that's who I'm pitching. Or sometimes the management or sometimes the agent. Sometimes it gets booked by the, you know, the Live Nation, the AEG is the tour. Sometimes it get the managers place and holds, and sometimes the agents are placing holds. So CAA, Live Nation or, or AEG is like, we have a tour. 
submit your no they don't say submit to me yeah. so but they'll call me and say hey look we're doing this date we you know, we think it's you know it's either going to be you know you or Dosekis or you or American Airlines Center you know what's your thoughts on it and why should we come play it and so we have conversations like that you have like a deck do you have like what do you you do on certain things like we created or is it just like, like we, you're you pitch like, it on the phone like six months ago I created a little deck that we put out there to everyone because of our success and I want to show our success to people of all like, the numbers yes of numbers okay. and sellouts and who's selling out and what kind of grosses we're doing what kind of platinum we're doing that's a whole nother topic of platinum with artists but um you know what where sales are a platinum reset like the variable no, platinum variable is, pricing. Platinum is variable pricing, more like a dynamic pricing. Drives me crazy. Well, yeah, it, I, but it makes more money. Yeah, it makes it yeah, makes, it a, makes lot a lot more. I more money. get it. I yeah. totally get it. I agree. I, yeah, there's 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 an up and down to it, yeah. right? I mean, platinum is designed it's in supply theory, and demand, but it is in theory designed to try to take the secondary market out of play. So it is designed to get the artist the maximum value of what. People are willing to pay. Yeah, exactly. Supply and demand. Yep. I, I get it. Yep. I get it. So all, all that makes yeah. sense. So you, so you, you have here like our platinum numbers are great. Our sellouts are great. Our ticket numbers are better. You know, than Dallas. Yeah, and then I show them like you know I haven't shown them yet, but like Whiskey Meyer sold out the same night as you know as Cody Johnson did. You know, Pitbull sold out the same night as uh, they had a big Latin show over at American Airlines there the same mm -hmm. night. So like, show them this data. I forgot that, Pitbull was just here. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that was. <laughs> Probably the most energetic show we've ever had. Really? Oh, yeah. It was. And I was like, okay, it's Pitbull. Was it like dancers? You know, and everything? It was just energy. The uh -huh. energy in that place was amazing. Uh -huh. And I'd never, at the, that arena, that that was the most energetic concert we'd had at the arena. No yeah, way. Definitely. It I'm really was. I'm jealous I was. It was, I mean, kids were up there dancing. You know, it was a younger crowd, uh -huh. you know, but, you know, kids were dancing. Everyone was having fun. You know, it, it was a great show. It really was. So it, all the things that, so you, you have, you have these numbers. Yep. And so you, you want to tell people this, you want to, you go, go out there, go up on the highest mountain and tell your story, right? Yeah. Like tell them where it is, you know, what you're doing, you know, put up billboards with it, for, yeah. you know? And so I'd send this stuff to all these agencies and managers and you know it's out there now. The word is out there on Dickie's Arena. Before what you were kind of fighting for it, and now it's yeah. I mean, nineteen. I was like, you know, where's this going to go? I think we're doing okay, but you, is it the new building that everyone mm -hmm. you know just sees? It's the new building. What's hot? We're into twenty twenty two now, and it's the new market. You have some authority. Yeah, it's the new market. Yeah. I mean, they're like Dickie's is getting on that list of you got to play Dickie's Arena. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Can you um? So you you have gotten to 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 be at some amazing games and meet some like and see some amazing concerts and meet it like do you can you can you give me like just some highlights like a high, oh. like anybody you got to meet or a game you got to go at that was just like yeah and I mean it started from, from your know, early days yeah in, in my Philly. career you know you know my dad and I used to you know he'd take me to a lot of events but we also went to you know we're loyal season ticket holders to the Philadelphia Eagles so I was a big Philadelphia Eagles fan so mm -hmm. one of the, the first things I said is I'm never going to be a Dallas Cowboys fan <laughs> you know I told people that when I moved here I said as long as that's on the table against, and everyone yeah. knows yeah. you know so <laughs> but uh yeah I was actually you know as a kid I mean I saw some great stuff I saw when Christian Leitner hit the shot at the Spectrum I was there for that wow. um that was an amazing thing you know you know Duke Kentucky I mean what a game that was um you know I've been to some world and my wife and I were, as we were watching the Phillies last night you know I've been to a World Series game a couple times you know that's always fun I went to about I went to been to four or five Super Bowls oh uh, really actually you know 
two of which the Cowboys won their Super Bowls against the Bills. Oh, <laughs> so, in the 90s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I used to go to those. Um, you know, but you see things, and it's great. I, some of the gr- best shows I've ever seen. You know, I was telling you when I was a kid, you know, working backstage, um, you know, I was 16 or 17 years old in the early 90s, and, you know, Roger, uh, Jimmy Page and Roger Plant got in a fist fight at the, spe- at the, at the Spectrum, and I was... I was like, what's going on? They're like, they're fighting and security is literally there breaking the two apart. And you like, you were like, and I was like sitting there watching the it like deer in the headlights. And I'm and like, that was like the end of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. 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 Or the I, end, end of Led Zeppelin reunion. Yes. That was it right there. It wow. ended, you know, and, they, and those two will never get back together. I don't think so. But, um, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I was 93, I was, it was 1990. No, it's 94. Sorry. So I'm a, senior or junior in high school or whatever. And, um, I, I went to, I wanted to go to a dead show, right? I uh-huh. wanted to go to a dead show. I was like, you know, I, I used to have this cousin that would come in town for dead shows when they'd play at the spectrum and uh-huh. sleep, you know, sleep in the room next to me for a couple weeks. And I'd be like, I gotta go check this out. Yeah. You know, he'd come in like, that'd be the first shower he had in a week or two. <laughs> and so I was like, I gotta go check this out. So I go to a dead show crowd starts going nuts in the middle of the dead show. I'm like, this is great. What the heck's going on? They're like, it's Unbroken Chain. They haven't played this song in 22 years. I'm like, okay. Uh, yes. Wow. So see, seeing some of that stuff is fun. But, you know, it's, uh, they're, they're, yeah, there's great moments. And live entertainment is just great moments, you know? And, yeah, the and, whole thing is, is. Yeah, I mean, I took. What you do is fun. Yes. It's what yeah. people save up for. It's what people live for. It's what people work for. It's like, I'm working for a month and I buy it like. Even even during the worst economies, you know, going back to the Great Depression, people uh-huh. always wanted entertainment. You yeah. know, people always want entertainment. Mm-hmm. They want to do something fun and yeah. you know, let the hair down, so to speak, yeah. every now and then. And we're able to provide that, which is which is which is a great experience. Do your do your kids appreciate it? Like, do they so, do they get what you? How old are they now? Uh, so I have a, a senior, a sophomore, and a freshman, oh, and, and bet, eighth grader. So. I bet they think it's so cool. Oh yeah. So this the my middle child, uh, Jack. He actually works at the arena. Nah. Yep. He, Dude, he's got a he's a ticket taker, usher, you know, helps out. Um, you know, he's, like on the weekends? Yeah, yeah. When he really? done at school. Yeah, he, yeah. We, by choice, or are you like, you no, gotta no, work? No, 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 by choice. I mean, so after the pandemic, I mean hiring was so tough and <laughs> hiring like, was so tough. You're like, kids are going to work. So we started allowing some kids now. We put them in spots where you know, like yeah. scanning tickets to come in. Like we put them in spots where they can be beneficial, but we started allowing 15 year olds to start working at the facility, you know, and that's how you got your start. It is. And you know, if they're motivated and they want to work, why not let them work? Because there's so many out, so many people out there that don't want to work. Yeah. I mean, it's better than using a, you know, a temp agency, Yeah, you know? And so they come in, they go through training, they go through all that, and, you know, and he's, he's been doing a great job. So That's he loves cool. it. You know, That's my daughter, cool. you know, my daughter, she's 17, you know, a high school, she's 17. She loves it too. She wants a concert t-shirt to every show that comes in. So That's her thing. Her, do you go That's get her? her thing. Yeah. She loves the concert t-shirts. And then my youngest is just starting to get into it. He loves the concerts. He loves coming down to events. He loves the sporting events more than anything. So, I mean, during March Madness, he, he just sat there the whole day, you know, watching basketball with his buddy, uh-huh. you know, so yeah, they, they love what I do. I mean, it's fun for them to uh, to come in and see that. I took my my middle son. Um, I took him down on the floor for Kiss. Oh, you did! And he just stood there, you know, because flames everywhere, and Gene Simmons with the tongue going out. He's like, "Oh my god!" He had never heard Kiss before. Yeah, yeah. He's like, "That was amazing." <laughs> he was like, "That was amazing." That's gotta be cool. 
It is. It is. You know, it, it definitely is. They don't want to be there for every show, but yeah, they, they sure. definitely want to see some of the fun ones and, and, and they love it. And, and again, it's a great, it, it's great now that they're older, you know, and you know, I don't have to worry about that. I don't see them before they go to bed. You know, as your kids get older, they obviously might say goodbye to you. They might not in the morning, yeah. you know, before they go to school, you know, and they're driving. So anyway, so it's, it's changed and it's developed, but it's in a good, it's in a great spot for yeah. us right now. That's awesome. How wh- one of the things that I, I I have loved and noticed very early on is like all of the employees are very nice. I like is the do y'all do like literally like from the security people to the ticket people to like the like like literally the Dickies employees are all it's it's friendly. Oh, thank you for is, saying that. That 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 is that means on purpose. The that is means that on the purpose? World. Yeah, that means the world to me because. That's the Dickies difference. That's what we preach and train our staff. Is that to like, do. A, like a yeah. core value or something? Yep, it's or? a core value. The Dickies difference. Like when you go to American Airlines, it, or it just in a concert venue, yeah. like the ballpark, the, like people are like, hey, come in, you know, ushering you along, especially the Cowboy Stadium. But like people at Dickies are like nice. They're excited to be there. It's 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 a great group. And and one of the reasons is because when we set this up, we said we don't want any outside vendors in there, really. You know, we want to do everything we can ourselves as no, much as we can. Because so normally the food is an outside menu. Food is an outside. We're not. We're a self-op food and beverage company. And one of the reasons we're a self-op is because, you know, when I got here, I said, you know, when I interviewed for the job, they said, well, what do you think about food and beverage? And I said, honestly, I think it's a lot of recycled crap out there. And, and I remember Mr. Bass kind of looked back at me like, what? I said, well, it is. I mean, it's all the same thing twice, you know, you know. We didn't want that. I said, if I'm going to do this and we don't need the money, meaning you don't need an Aramark to come in and give you $20 million to output, you know, to output your food and beverage, and then you give them a 50-year deal. Like, if we don't need the money like that, then we should do it ourselves. We should self-operate it. That way, we choose the product. We choose the service. We get to control all of those things. One thing I will say is, you know, in the work industry, I'm a bit of a control freak. Okay. <laughs> so, so I like the control, you know, and when I say that, it's not Matt home in the control, it's our organization has the control because we can control, you know, what the customer thinks about us. You but, And you want a great experience. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, in Philadelphia, it was Aramark, you know, I couldn't control anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd sit there and argue with the, the GM of Aramark on why we're using that hot dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the answer was, well, that's what corporate tells me I have to use because corporate gets a big kickback from that hot dog. And they paid this big contract, so you can't say anything. And I can't say anything. So you got, you, you guys got to elevate the food. Elevate the food was, it was a key. Elevate the drinks. Elevate the drinks. Elevate the parking experience. Even y'all do like craft cocktails and yeah. stuff. To like, yeah. Get elevate it. the parking experience though. Like from the time you pull in to the time you leave, we want to control as much as we can, that experience. Now, I can't control yeah. everything. I can't. Yeah. Some some people have a bad day. Some yeah. people have a bad day. But, but what? But what do you do to make them nice? Like, what, what's the secret there? It just they you, like they like yeah, the, that, they're treated hire, with respect. We hire the right people. You know, okay. I think it's about hiring people. We we tend to be a little selective on our hiring, which is fine. Which is good. Yep. Yeah. And we want people to want to work there. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and. And we encourage them. We do some great things. We, you know, we certainly learned some things in the past year and a half of what we need to do to help employees. I mean, when we first opened the building, part-time staff, we were at about 1,300. At the low point in COVID, we got down to about 500. I need for a major event every time we open the building, you know, for a sold-out concert or sold-out event, about five to 600 part-time staff. Wow. I mean. And so that's hard because you just have this ebb and flow. Yep. 
So we started doing some things during, you know, after the pandemic of doing incentives, treating them well, part-time parties, like, you know, we do quarterly giveaways, you know, really want it to feel like a home community. The part-timers. Yeah, the part-timers. Because it's hard to get part-timers yes. to feel a part of it. Yes. I okay. mean, you know, we just out, we just went out there in the market. We just spent $180,000 marketing campaign really just solely trying to hire part-time staff right now. Marketing to potential employees. Yes. We're doing bus routes around the city of Fort Worth. We're doing, um, you know, advertising on radio stations. So you want it to be kind of a badge of honor to get to, to work here. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. And people love it. You know, again, it's that Fort Worth community that's embracing it and buying into it and loving it and supporting it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what makes Fort Worth different and unique. Was there, was there any part of, um, and you, you can, I'm empowering you to be honest here okay. of like coming to Fort Worth from Philadelphia of like some cultures, like I'm sure there's some things that you like, you like the Fort Worth friendliness and stuff. Was there any parts where like, this is weird? <laughs> or like, oh, um, no, not, nothing that really weirded me out. I'm trying to think if there is something now, not that I could think of, you know. Do you, do you feel a part of the community now? Like, you're like, okay, oh, yeah. we, we're, I'm in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've told this story before, but, you know, I bought a pair of boots when I got here because I saw yeah. And you I started, you know, boots. and then I'm wearing, so I had these rough out boots that I, that I wear a lot. I love this pair. It's probably my favorite pair of boots. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I start wearing them around and, you know, and I tell my wife, I was like, you know, everyone else's boots are like nice and shiny and, you know, got these spiky things coming off and stuff. I was like, I don't think I got the right pair. <laughs> So I walk, she's like, all right, well, let's go get a new pair of boots. So we go down to the stockyards and, you know, this is before the building opened. This is, you know, uh, probably 2006, you know, uh, no, probably 17, 18 or something like that. And um, I walk into the store and I'm like, ah, I'm looking for a new pair of boots, you know, and um, I didn't say that. I'm sorry. I was walking in and the guy looks at me and goes, you ready for your second pair of boots? And I go, how do you know this is my uh -huh. first pair? He goes, because you're wearing working boots with your suit, buddy. You need some <laughs> nice boots. And I was like. See, Paige, I told you that this is what they want. I told you I didn't have the right boots. That's awesome. And so then, you know, I bought a pair of boots. And my wife looked at me and said, you just spent more money on one pair of shoes than I ever have. And I go, yeah, but you got a whole closet full yeah. of shoes, you know, yeah. so, so it works uh, out. Every man needs a good hat and a good pair of boots. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I got my hat, uh, my first good hat uh, t two years ago at the rodeo or three years ago. And at the, the rodeo. like the rodeo is a crazy weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, for me, if I guess. You, like, when I bring friends, like, from out of town, like, I've taken friends from New York and Boston to the rodeo. They're like, what is this? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, our first year here, I, I'll, I'll say that. The rodeo experience to me was like, wow, like, this is different, right? Like, like you know, like, going to dinner, you know, then going to the to Will Rogers, you know, before Dickie's was open, you yeah. know, I went to all the rodeos, you know, sitting in the president's box, uh, you know, with, with Mr. Barnes, and, you know, that was like an experience. And you said to do the pledge. Yeah, saying the pledge, the national anthem, yeah, you were just like, wow, it's this, different. Is, it's this just, is different, it's you know? It's here, like, it's a blast. So my I friends from, so my best friends from college, there's four or five of us, you know, yeah. we're all on the text chain and stuff. And, you know, we're, we, we talk a lot, probably haven't been together in like 15 years, but you know, but we're not all together. They're all coming to the rodeo this oh, year. And it's same as you. It's like one or one's from New York. One's from 
Charleston, South Carolina. One lives in D.C. and one lives in North Carolina, yeah. like, you know, in the mountains of North Carolina. And you're like, these children are going to get on this sheep? Yes. And, <laughs> and hold on for dear life. On. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, and they go, we, it's going to, I was talking to the one and he goes, oh, it's going to be great because we're such fish out of water when we see yeah. this rodeo. And I'm yeah. like, oh, guys, just don't embarrass me, you know? Bull riding. With yeah. Like- well, the first couple of years here, they asked my youngest son if he wanted to be the mutton busting clown. Oh really? So during all did the he month, do it? yes, he, he did, did up it. until up until he did up until last year. This oh year will be gosh. his first year. He doesn't do it because he's like, Dad, I'm in eighth grade. I can't do it anymore. But uh-huh. he could. They dress him up. They put makeup on him, and he'd be he'd be the kid out there with the mutton busts trying to cheer the crowd. And he did it every night. And he yeah. loved it. It was funny. So and we'd send that back to some friends, you know, back in the east in Philadelphia, and they'd be like. Wow, you're all in down there, aren't yeah, you? I'm like, yeah, I you love drink it. You know, the I love, yeah, drinking the Kool Aid, and I love it. You know, and not only all, all in, it's like it's like like you said, this is my brother sister organization. Yeah. Like that's such a huge part of why the arena is even here. Exactly. Um, that's, that's it's a great relationship the way we have it set up, and I think that's really important as well. Do you okay? So I've I'm, I'm, before I get into like some fun random questions, like just changing. Even the rodeo, like for the rodeo, you bring in like dirt. The whole arena is filled with dirt. Lots of dirt. And then you have like Disney on ice where you turn it into an ice skating rink. Like how, how, how do you, how do y'all do that? Like what, what is that, what is involved in flipping it? Like you said, what were we saying? Like, what was, there was a, a, a tournament and then one of the nights was. So PBR, it was PBR. Oh, PBR, we went, that's we went right. Okay. PBR, we had the world finals in. Right, PBR World Finals ended Sunday. We loaded them out Sunday afternoon. Uh, the first weekend ended Sunday. We loaded them out Sunday afternoon. Loaded McCartney in Monday. McCartney played Tuesday. This, like twenty four hours later. Yep. Loaded McCartney in Tuesday. Is there people just working twenty four seven? Oh yeah, cleaning and and my my sticky item was cleaning, 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 cleaning. We're gonna do this. You know, but it's also and, how do you, and, and maybe you it wasn't our most. It <laughs> well, you get the you know the sweepers out. You have people wiping down seats over and over again because the dust mitigation. Yeah. You know, um, I said, look, we have a chance to do Paul McCartney. We might not make a whole lot of money on this event, but it's Paul McCartney at Dickey's Arena. You're not going to make money because of the cost. Of because the cost of the changeover and cleaning and everything else, and it, because it was expensive, and we ended up making a little money, but yeah. but at the same point. Like we knew what we were getting into, but I was like, guys, and I said to my the, those four or five, you know, managers and you know, directors and vice presidents, and said, "We got to do Paul McCartney, right?" And they all looked at me and said, "Yes, have we, we have to do you Paul McCartney." And so, and you know, PBR at first was like, "No, we can't do this," and I was like, "They can't load out that fast." Yeah, yeah, they're like, "No, no, 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 we're not going to do this." And I was like, "Guys, it's Paul McCartney," and and, and then Sean Gleason, head of PBR, said, "He goes." It's like Paul McCartney's playing the PBR World Finals. Yes, we're going to do it. Yes, uh-huh. you can go do it and gave us the blessing to go do it. So you just major staff up. Yep. Major, major staff, staff up. And you know, literally people overnight, are just, are just going. wiping the seats multiple times. Yes. Are you like, do you set a protocol for it? Are you like, wipe the seats three times? Or well, like, no. I mean, how do you, how do you? Well, you know, one thing you want to check is because you want to make sure they're using fresh water, cleaning it down the right is there a way. Playbook? You know? Do you have like when we have a yes, rodeo, we have, here's we have the stand- playbook. Yes, here's- we have standards in everything we do and operational, you know, procedures on how we want to do things. So yeah, absolutely. And does someone write that? 
Yes. Yeah. We actually do write that up. You okay. know, we have an operational manual of what our expectations are, you know, and, and how to get things done. Yeah. And how, like, how do you turn the floor to ice? So, um, how does that work? The floor underneath has a cooling system, has a coil system and that cools the floor. And then we come out there, you know, you put an ice dam in that goes around. That's that little yellow thing around the hockey rink. At you the bottom. flood the floor. Well, first what you do is you actually just spray it like a mister almost. Cause you want it to bond. You want to create a bond. And you create that bond, and then you can start flooding it. And when I say flood it, you're taking a big hose, like a fire hose, and spraying water on it, you know, as you you're go through. You're just spraying water on yeah, the floor. over and over again until you build it up. Once you get to about quarter to a half inch, you can then use the Zamboni to build ice, and it builds it a lot quicker. But, but you know, so... it's just driving it around, building, you know, putting the water down. And is down. there wood floors under there, too? No. There's no wood floors. For the basketball games, they bring the wood floors in? So the, we own the basketball court. So, yeah, we br we bring that court on and just set it up. So, so you just set it on it's top. A, yeah, it's a tongue and groove system. So you come in and you put it in, and they're all in four, about four by eight panels, four feet by eight feet, and you just set them all up in a row. You go one by one all the way down. You can set up a ba – a basketball's easy. We can set that up in about two, two and a half hours. Really? Yeah. Yeah, basketball is an easy conversion. Okay. So it, it just depending on what we're coming from, but yeah. And we could put the basketball floor over ice if we needed to. You know, um, like this year we're going to have Disney on ice, which you have little girls, right? You're yeah. bringing them to Disney yeah. on ice. I think, they went, I think they went last year. I think year. they did. I think I, I, saw, I, think I saw you all there. Um, but we'll do Disney on ice and then uh, you know, we'll take the ice out that Sunday night and then we start setting up for NCAA gymnastics championships on Monday. And, and that, it will cool and melt. Yep. And yep. Well, actually, we have an ice pit. We can pick it up and just add the Zamboni, put it all in the ice pit. But that's the thing. Like, no one knows how to do that except for, like... Yeah, arena guys. Except <laughs> yeah, for these yeah, arena guys. Yeah, yeah. They not only have to know how to do that, and then they have to know, like... And then changing the seats? Yeah. Because like... Like, you have to move all the oh, seats Oh, yeah, around. that's a little bit more complicated and takes a little bit more time. Like, when we set up for the rodeo, I mean, that's... We start setting up for the rodeo, you know, right around Christmas time. You know, even for though it might, February for January, it starts January, you know, MLK holiday. So okay. it starts that Friday before the MLK. So, you so know, usually like January so you can't 12th, do any or events leading up to that. So well, you, we can, but I probably try to get them to do them in rodeo configuration. Like when we did Parker McCollum, we did Parker McCollum in rodeo configuration, which was cool because we had such a big floor. We could do a lot more people on the floor than we thought. And then you have rodeo boxes, so you could sell them as a, like a prime seat as well. Yeah. We're going to do a conference this year on the 28th, 29th, and 30th. Um, which will actually be in rodeo configuration as well. But then we start bringing the dirt in around January 3rd, January 4th. And so are you are you the one or is like someone on your team like thinking of, okay, we got this configuration. We can sell these seats for this. Are you like, is there yeah. like a ticket pricer person? Yeah, we have we have uh, box office managers that will kind of handle that. And they're but, you know, thinking of how yeah, do we Yeah, but maximize? I'm the one who's sitting there saying, okay, when that conference wants to happen or Parker wants to play New Year's Eve, I'm saying – Okay, but we got to be in, I have to think about first from, you know, even two, a year out or whatever and say, okay, well, we have to be in rodeo configuration. That's the only way I'm going to do the concert. So I have to then go to you, the promoter, and say, hey, it's going to change your configuration. Here's what your seating's going to be. Here's your capacity. But this is how I have to do it. And, and are you the one scheduling? Like, are, are, like, Yeah, I do all the booking. I handle the booking. You're myself. doing yeah, all the booking. I do all the booking. And sort of operate your your leading the charge on operation. Well, no, I, I like Bill Shaw, who I've mentioned, he's, he's my agent. Operator. He's my day to he runs the building day to day. He that's his goal and his job and he is spectacular. And so is booking most of your time. What what is the majority of your time? Oh um 
No, I wouldn't say booking is the most. It's your probably twenty five percent. Your job you know? is like this thing has to be great. Yes, everything, all all around. So I'd say you know premium seating is a big part of it. You're you still know, selling those? Um, or, I'm meaning- not selling anything, but managing the premium seating and the expectations because now for me, yeah, it's about retention, right? So okay. it, we've. We're almost sold out of our premium seating of what we could have. So now it's about how do we get them to renew because yeah. renewal periods are coming up. And that's easier than going to get in. Yeah. Suites, I'm not worried about. You know, suites are going you know, to. No if one's going to give those If I had another 20 up. suites, I could yeah. sell them today. Yeah, you know? Sign me up for that. Yeah. If I had another 20, I could sell them today. But um, but the club seats, like how do we renew the club seats? How do we make their club seat experience better? You know, what can we do better for those for those fans? How can we make their fan experience better? So. That's a big por- portion of my day, you know, kind of, and then working with all my different directors, whether it be finance and talking about, you know, budgets, you know, we're in a budget process right now, you know, for, for next fiscal year, um, whether it's my food and beverage director talking about product and where we go and what we're looking for, what our product mix is going to be, you know, what our expected per caps is. We're going to take merchandise sales in house. We've been using an outsource oh, company, okay. so we're going to start in house selling that now. Um, and some of that was, a little slower due to the pandemic and due to staffing, but now we're at a point where we're growing that. You're, and then you're you know, tweaking, you're dialing. Yeah, yeah, we're starting to get dialed in a little bit more. You know, a year ago, I was probably using, you know, if I said we had 500 people there for a given event, a year ago, we were probably using half of that for it was outsourced to outside temps. You know, I want to get that down to less than 10%, yeah. you know, and, you and, and so it. now we're probably, probably 25 to 30%. But you wouldn't know it because we put those people in positions because I don't want that to be the guest interaction. So we put those people in positions where we try to make our staff the ones that are interacting with the guests. Yeah, you yeah. can you can control it. How much does a – I know that like you probably have – I'm assuming you're going to be able to rattle this off quickly. How much does like a sellout generate? I know it depends on the configuration and the type of ticket. but like, Well, it really depends on – the artists and what they want to charge is pricing, right? Okay. You know, and the guarantee, what the guarantee is, because that's what people don't realize is that, you know, yes, the George Strait tickets are very expensive, mm-hmm. right? But George Strait is playing a 13,000 seat arena. He could do 50,000. He, he could go play he Cowboy Cowboys. Stadium. That was his, And, yeah. you know, what's the sound like at Cowboy Stadium? It's terrible. Terrible, yeah. Yeah, same with Globe Life. It ain't much better. But how much does that, like, generate, like, gross? I know this isn't what Dickies makes, but... Yeah, how, like... I, I, yeah I mean, so that's all artist money, you know? Like yeah. I said, I rent the building to those artists, basically, or the promoters. But, you know, I mean, grosses right now, they're, they're crazy. They're anywhere from, you know, you could do a... You know, you know, a, a gross of a, a up and co- you know a country band that I just mentioned that recently sold out that sold over six hundred thousand dollars because they have a low ticket price, mm-hmm. and you can do some of these bigger ones like Paul McCartney, George Strait, the Eagles. It'll be grosses of north of three million dollars. Wow! And I mean, those are some big numbers. That's so cool that yeah. in one night it generates three million bucks. That's crazy. Not bad. Not bad. Plus night work. the merchandise. Plus all. Plus yeah. all that stuff. And then you know. You know, the other great thing about us right now is, you know, these other special events outside music that we're getting, like the WTA World Finals we're going to host here, Women's Tennis Association World Finals that we're going to host here. They're going to play tennis on there. Yeah, they're going to play tennis in here in two weeks. And, you know, when I first got here, that thing's going to gross close to $2 million. You know, we did the USA Wrestling Championship, or USA Wrestling Olympic Trials here during COVID. I remember that. And socially distanced, but that did really well. Like, all these events are doing well no matter what they are, and... 
It's building our reputation up. Yeah. You know, in Polestar, you know what Polestar is, an industry magazine. It, it that, tracks ticket sales yes. across all sizes and venues. And they rank these based on gross dollars. Well, on through three quarters this past that just came out about two weeks ago, we were twenty eighth in in the world in ticket sales based in on the world? dollars. Based on dollars for arenas. For arenas. In the whole world. Yep. Third quarter ticket sales through three quarters. I think after wow. the fourth quarter, because our fourth quarter, we have, we're going to have like 13 concerts. We'll probably be closer to 20. No way. But they, they do it on dollars. So it's a little skewed because like Madison Square Garden is yeah, you know, for a concert, 16,000 seats. So their grosses are just yeah, yeah, going to be a little you're, bigger. You're competing against more seats. Yes. More seats is, yes. is, is the thing. But the great thing about our facility is... Our upper bowl is only 2,800 seats. Mm -hmm. So on a concert of a capacity of 13,000 or 12,000 people, only 2,800 seats are upstairs. Yeah, very few people are in the... Everything else is downstairs. Yeah, don't, say no, don't say nosebleed. We don't, don't have, have nosebleeds. You don't have nosebleeds. No, you don't have our last row <laughs> of seats... That's a dirty word. I've, yeah, don't say nosebleeds. Nerves. We don't have it. We don't have it. Our last row of seats is the same distance to center court as the American Airlines Center's platinum level is. So what they sell is their best seats in the house is our last row seating in the arena. Wow. So what do you call it? You call them the upper bowl? Yeah, the, the, the gallery. We call the it gallery, gallery. Okay. Yeah, the gallery is the proper term okay. for that. We don't have nose. That's fascinating. That the platinum seats are the, the equivalent of, of, the, of our gallery seats. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so, sense. But, but for an artist, they can have higher price seats downstairs and they can grow the gross a little bit better than they can versus some of those other big arenas that have two or three or four levels. Is there is there anything from like a marketing perspective or a strategy perspective or a like you're getting all these crazy numbers you're selling stuff out people are like is it is it simply this is a new market no no everyone's neglected and people are hungry for it people or are you did you do anything strategically you made this beautiful space people want to come to but is there any anything like y'all have done that you're like this really worked and has, has paid off that you can, not you can take credit for, but your team and organization can take yeah. credit for? You know, one of the things that when I came in, I was like, you know, and I get asked this question, you probably get asked this question a lot. Like when you're touring, you know, you know, do you go hang with the artists? I'm like, no, because look, you know, these guys are on tour a lot of times, 30, 40 nights out of the year or on a 40 city run or something like that for like 80 days or who, who knows. So you want to make them feel as at home as possible. That's really important to us. So to make them feel at home. So anything we can do, and that's like our back of house stuff, I think is one of the nicest back of houses in, in the United States. Like really makes the artist feel welcome. Because most of most of them are just like cinder block cinder walls. Cinder block walls. I mean, you know, our, our team locker room, you know, that we have are, are nicer than any team locker room I've seen in the NBA, any visiting team locker room in the NBA. You know, um, so... So we try to make them feel welcome, whether it's goodie bags, whether it's gifts, you know, artists love gifts and cool things. We gave Keith Urban a custom uh, uh, guitar strap oh, that, we, that cool. got made and said Dickie's Arena sold out, blah, blah, blah. And he, he thought that was the coolest. He said, you know, my dad used to make guitar straps for me when I was a kid. Oh, wow. And started telling us this story about it. And that was really cool. And he's yeah. like, I really appreciated this. And, you know, and, and so that was really, that was a special moment. Um, you know, that's kind of we want to make sure that they feel welcome there. That's really always important to us, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, I go back to it. I'm sorry, but it's, it's about the guest, right? You know, the guest has to feel welcome. They have to love the entertainment. They have to love the energy in the facility. And so we try to try to do that. So you think much. the secret to the success is that the guest has a great experience yes, I really and the do. artist. So it's yes. not, it's not this secret marketing. We've cracked the algorithm. No, it's, we just deliver a great experience. Yeah. 
and people tell their friends. And people and want to come back to it, you know. And I think you know we're we're we're, we're having some success in these K-pop concerts that we're doing. <laughs> uh, we've become this K-pop market. Do you know much about K-pop? Uh, you know, I'm assuming I you so do now. I, I do know now. I know a lot K-pop. more than I used to. But you know, but you know, BTS came here back in you know before the arena was open and sold yeah. out Tarrant County, and then all of a sudden Fort Worth became known as this K-pop, and I've just kind of reap the benefits of it you know okay um so we've done some k-pop we've done a couple k-pop <laughs> concerts at dickie's arena so it's it's always interesting it's a you know but but it's great people love it yeah the merchandise numbers are incredible i mean we had a k-pop show that had merchandise that had a merchandise per cap of um over 80 dollars. every person bought the equivalent of 80 dollars worth of yes wow on a sold out show so the merch was almost as much as the gross whoa Think about that. That's wild. They come in, they buy, the, they have these light sticks that they program, you know, for to go with the yeah, show, to go whatever. with the show. And these things sell for like 90 bucks a pop. Fascinating. I mean, so we've had a great K pop experience. You know, I think we've embraced the K pop market, you know, brought them in. They, they yeah. like coming to Dickie's Arena. They know good K pop shows yeah. are coming here. They sell out a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's always, so, so that's certainly a fun avenue that we've gone down. That's funny. What is the, um, do you have any like crazy green room requests or crazy backstage <laughs> setups or antics or anything? Um, you know, my favorite one of my career was um, we did Buffett in Columbia, who's one of the opening shows in Columbia. Um, actually, it wasn't one of the opening shows. We had a we had a two week stretch where we did Prince, Buffett, Shania, and oh man, what a lineup! Uh, and I think it was George. I think it was straight back. Yeah, you know, four shows, those four shows, you know, back to back, which pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. um, Prince, that would be so- Prince was a strange one, right? Like he, he won a golf cart and our hallways back there were real small in Columbia at the, so you had Columbia. to provide him a golf. He won a golf cart. And the funniest thing was I'm standing in the hallway and I'm watching Prince try to turn the golf cart around like Austin Powers. Oh, it was totally like <laughs> Austin Powers. And you're trying not to laugh and you're looking at this. And like, he's driving it. He's driving it. And it's like, <laughs> you know, skirting around. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that was funny. Uh-huh. Uh, that's one of them. You know, Buffett, my favorite one was Buffett, like on the rider, like what, what do they want? He goes, he just wants a couch long enough to sleep on. That's, oh, that's, all, all, that's all he wanted. Uh-huh. That was, you know, cause he lives on his bus and, you know, come in the venue. He's like, he just wants a couch long enough to sleep on. That's funny. And I thought that was fun. Um, when I did Kanye one time in Philadelphia, they came in and they build a lattice roof in the locker room. I said, why are you doing that? They said, because Kanye wants it. It's just his vibe. He That's his vibe. I mean, they that. built a lattice roof. Every show they went to, like in a room like this, there was this wooden lattice roof in this, and like two couches in the, under it. It was that's, strange. That's strange. I, I, Elton John went to an Elton John. Um, this was the weirdest one. Elton John, you walked into one of his private rooms, and he, had, he was a huge bobblehead collector, and he had bobbleheads all around the room, surrounded. They were all put out uh-huh. for the concert. Elton John bobbleheads? No, or no, just, no, just random? random bobbleheads. Oh, really? Random bobbleheads. Yeah. That's like, interesting. Elton loved that we gave him um, that we gave him a bobblehead of, you know, Cocky is the Gamecock mascot. This was in South Carolina. Uh-huh. We gave him a bobblehead of Cocky. He loved yeah. that. He asked for six more of them, and we sent six more uh-uh. up to him as well. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, uh, but yeah, so there's some fun things. You know, again... You want these guys to feel at home. You don't really question it. You know, you just like 
you know, if that's what they want, that's what they should get. You know, why not? They're have not. You, they're have on you had the any road. rowdy like where it's like there's 500 people backstage right now. This is getting. This is a little wild. Yeah, I've done. We've done. We've all had a couple of those shows uh-huh. where you know it's like, uh oh, what's going to go on now? Yeah. And you know, um, yeah, radio shows get like that. A lot of times, some local shows get like that where the artist all the is local. And the family, you yeah. know, friends and family come in. You know, side of stage, there's 200 people, yeah. and you just. Try to control it as best you yeah. can, you know, you, because, you know, at the, at the same point, you know, these people are, you know, this is their pride and joy that's here now in the market. They're all drinking. So you want to just keep it nice yeah. and, you know, chill. You just try to crowd manage instead of crowd control, you yeah. know, and that, that's, that's a the, good, that's yeah. a good yeah. way to, way to phrase it. Um, were there any just in your, in your career or, or, or personally, like books or resources like this was just really Pivotal. I love recommending this book or this. Hmm. You know, I don't know if there's a great book. You know, for me, it was about it's about people. I think, and okay. you know, because I'm a big relationship guy, so I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot in the past seven years here from people. You know, and there's people that have influenced me very, um, like mentors and just people that kind of mentors, and then just people that you pick up on that that you start meeting and that you want to be around, right? Yeah. And that that just you know, teach you something and, and, you know, and make you better at what you're doing, whether it's personally or professionally. Are there any, a couple that come to mind? Well, obviously, you know, Mr. Bass was something that, it was, that relationship is something that I value very much. Um, locally, you know. Was, it, was there a specific, like, lesson or concept or ideology that he... You know, I think it was that attention to detail was something that really I stayed focused on and that to to take my, you know, from Philadelphia, I'm from the Northeast. I'm, I tend to rush things a lot. Even when I'm speaking probably here, I'm probably speaking very fast. fast, right? And I try to do things fast and move on to the next task, right? Like complete that task, move on. And I think what he's taught me is really to take my time, analyze it, make sure you're making the proper decision for, for all the right reasons, think it through versus just reacting and going. And, um, probably early in my career, I was probably a lot more reaction and go. And now I try to understand things, um, look at both sides of things, look at the benefit and the negative, uh, and then make decisions off that. I think that's one of the things that, you know, I've definitely learned from him, which has been great. Um, there's a woman on our board. Her name is Lily Biggins. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She'd be a great asset for this podcast. She's got a great story. Um, but she is on our board and she fascinates me every time I meet what, her. What, what does she do? Or what? Lily was on the board of DFW. She worked for Texas Health, started as, um, you know, started as a basically a janitor and worked her way up to a management level, a high management level at Texas Health. Um, She's now retired okay. and she is an amazing woman. And I was with her even yesterday uh, and I was with her once last week. And I was just like, every time I talk to her, like she, she brings something up that makes me think of something different that I didn't think of before one and her wealth of knowledge and history that she has just amazes me. Hmm. And it's, it's something, it's someone that I really appreciate. And mm-hmm. she knew nothing about the arena business when she first came on our board, probably four years ago. Yeah. And now, I mean, I'd say she's one of the ones who's most engaged, knows everything, understands it, you know, ask qu- the right questions to us and just has been a huge, uh, positive influence on me. That's and, and cool. just someone I really, really appreciate, uh, in the industry, you know, I have a gentleman, um, his name's Peter Luco. Um, he and my dad were best friends, you know, and Peter, 
is a senior vice president for Oakview Group, uh, ran the Wells Fargo Center, was president of the Philadelphia Flyers at one point. Uh, another person, you know, and, and Peter was like an uncle to me growing up. You know, I've known him since, you know, yeah. I was probably six years old. And he's someone that I can reach out to in the industry and talk to at any time. When you need advice. Yeah, when yeah. I need advice. And just someone that's always been there for me. And, and we talk through things and processes and why not to do this or why to do that and what's the benefit and the, and the negatives of it. So people really embrace me. And, I, you know, I tend to try to get around people that I think can help me become a better person yeah as, as crazy as that sounds there's, some but, hum, there's humility in that yeah. and there's like i want more in that like yeah and so that's that's where i find something and i try to you know i try to do that same thing i try to mentor other people younger people in our industry yeah you know every you know when we bring in interns on a quarterly or semester like one of the most important things to me is we have an intern lunch with all the vice presidents mm. all the vice presidents come in you have to dedicate an hour and these interns, oh, with the interns. yeah and wow. we have lunch with them. That's and cool. all right, let's talk. What do you guys want to know? You yeah. know, let's let's we want to learn. Cool. This is what we do. You know, and and you know what I tell those interns is like, look, this may or may not be the right business for you, and that doesn't matter. You know, but you're going to make relationships. Don't burn your bridges. Yeah. You know, and just and, and do the job and get it done. And and people will be here to help you later in life as yeah. well. That's cool, man. That's yeah. great. Um, if you could, spe like speaking of that, like with the interns and and shepherding and, and like if you could give any bit of advice to your younger self what would it be if you could go back 20 years 10 years 30 years what what would you or even to you know to 20 year old matt just yeah, know, no, graduated. No, no. I, I think i think a couple things one was you know i was a little bit more feisty in my younger days probably <laughs> okay. right a little bit more hot-headed i think leveling off at an earlier age i think would have been good for me. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like that anymore. I definitely have grown out of that, but I definitely was, um, I could be hot at some times and let tempers flare and stay mad at things. So don't hold a grudge is something that I, mm -hmm. I try to live by, you know, I mean, especially in this industry, you just can't cause yeah. you know, grudges just burns you out really, or yeah. just, you know, eat you up and you just can't allow that. Mm -hmm. Um, that would be the first one. The second one is, uh, slow down and appreciate it all. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, and then, you know, third, which I think I've done, I've done a better job of, especially in the you know past seven years is you have to find that correct balance for life and work, especially in our industry, because it's not a nine to five job, you know, yeah. as, as we it's talked atypical. about. Yeah, it's not, it's definitely not. It's weekends, it's nights, it's everything in between, you know, and you have to find that work life balance. That's really important. Mm -hmm. It's important, you know, because you know, as, as now I have a 17 year old, you know, they're gone. About soon, to be you know? gone, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. A whole college, you know, discussion is out there and, and you don't want to say, man, I regret not doing that with them or this, you know, mm -hmm. those are good. Yeah. Those are, those, those are really good. That, that, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, it's funny. Like it's almost all of those is like slow down. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just translates to Matt naturally moves very fast. Yes. Yes, he does. And, and just, slow down, be present, find the balance. Those, yeah. are, those are good. Uh, for me, that's like, I'm constant. That's a struggle for me. Cause I'm like yeah. future. What's next? Let's go. Where are we going? And it's hard for me to like slow down. Yeah. Um, okay. A few silly questions. Uh, what is your, what is your go-to like at an event meal at Dickie's? Like, what do you go get? Oh, um, you know, we hired a pastry chef a year ago, and uh -huh. I love sweets. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, and so uh, sweets are great. 
Our barbecue's delicious, but I, I'd say the sweets. You know, she's gotten really. Her name's Katoria. She's gotten really creative with our sweets and desserts. What what, what are what are some of the things? Oh, she makes some. Uh, she makes right now. She's got a. She's dialed in on a great like pumpkin cheesecake type you know, dessert. Uh-huh. We had some churros the other night, which were good, really uh-huh. good during Whiskey Myers. Uh, she makes some. Um, so you're some, at, you're at a concert. Thing. You're an event. You're gonna get, go for the sweets. <sighs> Yeah, I, I I I tend to lean towards the sweets. Okay. I mean, our barbecue is our other than that, I'd say our barbecue. Is and y'all great. y'all smoke it like yeah, we, real deal. all in house. I mean, we bought uh, we have two huge smokers. We put out on the plaza That's um, cool. and put out there and, and do our own you know in house. And smoking. what's your what's your go to like from the barbecue? A sausage. I think the sausage, the jalapeno sausage is is, is really yeah, good. I've had, yeah, I've yeah, had I think that. they do a great job with that. So that's really yeah. good. Favorite favorite seat or position to watch a show or an event. Um, I, are you like front row or no, are you like on the floor? Are you in the suite? Are you on I tend the side? To be in, I tend to go, stay on the suite level, but I always, for every show I go down, sit, stand stage left or right for probably whatever, whatever artist and their, their song that I kind of like the best. Yeah. This I'll is go, the hits. I'll go watch stage left, you know, and, and stand there. And what would you know? Like the number, like the section? Um, yeah. Right in front of, right in front of, uh, 104. Four, one oh four. Yeah, yeah. So look. Right on the stage. Uh, so everyone says, you know, back. The, you want to look directly at it, like by the soundboard. You know, I'm that guy. I like being right on the side of the stage, looking down. You know, yeah. um, I, I remember, you know, growing up, it was sections R, S, and T at the Spectrum. Right. Uh-huh. My first concert I ever saw was Springsteen at, oh, at the Spectrum. Gosh, I bet uh, that was great. Back in '83. Oh, and, Springsteen in '83. Yeah. In Philly, I bet. Born was, in the USA was tour. You know? Epic. Yes, and this is when. Speakers were stacked, right? They didn't hang anything. Everything was stacked and just right next to the bass. And you're sitting there with Bruce and just like, this is amazing. That's you know? cool. But, but, but yeah, but I like those side sections looking to the side of the stage. I think those are my favorite there. Favorite meal in Fort Worth. Where do you like to go, go out? I think the pork chop at Tavern is probably one of the best pork chops I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, that's great, yeah. and it's beautiful since they redo. Oh yeah, I yeah. love the redo, but I love I love the Fort Worth restaurants. Um, you know, some great places around here, but the the pork chop at Tavern is your is your meal. I mean, when you know, my wife and kids go up to New Jersey for a couple of weeks, you know, during the summer. And I'm at that uh, I'm at that restaurant eating that pork chop at oh, least once are. a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's probably awesome. that's probably my go-to favorite. I but, love it. Yeah. I love it. What's your what's your go-to drink at at Dickies? Water. Water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, water at Dickies. Afterwards, probably a ranch water. A ranch yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. Afterwards, probably a ranch water. But yeah, uh, water is the go-to. Okay. Iced tea. I'm an iced tea freak too. You so are. That's my that's my kind of. Afternoon Vice. juice. I go upstairs. I have my routine that right before doors open, I go up to the Avion Club, go in, get an iced tea, walk around with my iced tea, and you know that's that's kind of my vice until yeah. But I drink a you know try to drink a lot of water and uh-huh. you make sure that you know because we're moving around a lot. Too. Yeah. yeah, and you're working. You're, yes, yeah. yes, you're, yes. You're, you're... Every now and then you get to hang with someone and you have a cocktail with them and and that's fun. But um, but yeah, but most ninety ninety nine percent of the time it's. Um, it's, you know, water and iced tea, but uh-huh. yeah, oh, that's, that's fun. Okay. Last question. What is, what is the, the word or the term legacy mean to you? Like what, what, what do you want your legacy to, to be, or what does that mean to you? Or what, you know, as you've settled down a little bit, you know, what, what does that look like for you? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, you know, for me, it's that we built something and created, we built a facility that is second to none. And I think we all know that, right? As far as arenas go, at least. And then to me, you know, what we've built with the market, that's the legacy. 
that we were able to come in here, prove that it was an independent market. It wasn't Dallas. Nobody had ever done that before. No, no. That to me is the legacy right there is, is what we've done and the way that we've done it all, you know, and the way that we've done it both locally, you know, and nationally, you know, building the brand, you know, building the premium seating, you know, that's the legacy to me, you know, the advertising that you don't walk in and see billboards everywhere, that it's clean and it's profitable. Yeah. You know, and I want to see this building turn a good profit so we can be there to help with a great project like, you know, the auditorium or something like that in the future years. I think Fort Worth is, you know, we all know Fort Worth, you know, is growing and growing and it's doing some great things. And I think it's just going to continue. I mean, the city's got the great thing about this city is that public private partnership that's out there and how it works, whether it be the zoo, the museums, the stock show, Dickie's arena. It's just so under talked about here. Yeah. And I think I was a part of that legacy of building what Dickie's arena will be in 20 years. And I feel like that is something that's, um, that, that, I could never do anywhere else yeah. ever again. And that will, that's gonna That, that is legacy. I mean, that's yeah. changed, changed the culture of the city and it's going to last for a really, 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 really long time. Yeah. So that's cool, man. This is great. I appreciate you joining me. This Thank was you so much. I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was fun. Well, thanks, Matt. Thank you. Congratulations. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Stories with Soul. If you enjoyed the interview and like what you heard, please help us out and share, subscribe, and like anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you share and subscribe, it is insanely helpful and allows us to keep producing new episodes. You can always join us directly in the studio by watching the video version on our website, sixthavstorytelling.com. Stories with Soul is brought to you by Six Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company building standout brands on the foundation of story. You're obsessed with your business and we want to make the world obsessed with it too. Thanks for listening.